Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Jokes Report. Tyler Jokes, and we're so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by John Kurtz of the KC Sports Network and uh, covering the Big 12 as well as K-State. Uh, he does a great job. We'll bring him in coming up later on to get his thoughts on realignment, uh, the San Diego State factor, and also look ahead to the uh, 2023 Big 12 season. John joins us coming up later on. Plus, we'll have our Big 12 breakdown, take a look around the NBA. Coach Bo's going to stop by with the football fix. Draft season coming up later. We'll uh, choose our favorite childhood crushes of all time. Uh, I promise you, we, we will not get too creepy. Uh, and then we'll have our Tom Fulbright story of the week coming up at the end of the show. Thomas Bridges out this week and filling in our friend Derek Haglin from KU The Hill is here uh, holding things down with us this week. Derek, always a pleasure anytime uh, you and I get to chat, my friend. What's going on in your world, man? Absolutely. I feel like uh, I feel like right now I'm Ellie De La Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds just getting the call up to the big leagues. And I'm here to put on a fucking show. So that's what, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. I'm here to uh, play shortstop, uh, make spectacular defensive plays, and hit dingers. I like it. I like that attitude. Coming out of the gates firing right away. Uh, Derek, I just got back from Chicago, and the Summer Jones, as you know, has been off and rolling. And I had right. a time in Nashville a couple weeks ago, went to Chicago this past week. And I got to tell you, uh, Chicago was an experience. And I think you'll be proud of me on this. Uh, so went to Cubs game Friday, right? Yep, and saw that. My favorite part of going to this Cubs game, and some of you will think I'm joking. I'm like kind of not joking. I kid you not when I say this was the pregame experience of not just pre-gaming as you should on a Friday afternoon, not in the office, but going to a baseball game. But I got to pregame in Wrigleyville at a Taco Bell cantina, getting that $7 Baja Blast with the Jack Daniels in it, getting a couple of those. That was a great way to start my weekend, and it was off and rolling from there. I'm a changed man now that I've experienced the Taco Bell cantina. Well, I mean, you know, it had been, what, 104 years since 2016 when the Cubs last won a World Series. And then, you know, 1984 or 1985 was a very long time ago. Um, Bears fans will will admit that, too. Um, so they got to have something to look forward to. So, it, you know, the Cubs are eh, this year. The White Sox uh, severely underperforming with the talent that they have on their squad. So, um you know, I, I guess their next best option was Taco Bell in a cantina. <laughs> you know, it was a great pregame spot. But one of these days, Derek, I think my dream might be just to get effed up at a Taco Bell cantina and eat tacos and drink for cheap like that. Like, to me, I think that maybe for my birthday next year when I turn 28 or something like that, we just all get together and we go party at a Taco Bell cantina and, and drink cheap and have a good time and eat some, you know, average tacos. Yeah, that may be a trip because um, <laughs> I, I don't uh, I don't know of any of those in the Kansas City Metroplex. There is one in Kansas City in Westport. That makes total sense. <laughs> that it would be there. I, I don't even got to look it up. It's 100 percent believable. <laughs> so i am a believer i am uh all in 
on the Taco Bell Cantina experience. So you're you would say you're a bell eater. Yes, bell. Yes, yes, I like that. Uh, yeah. Chicago was a good time. Uh, went to the uh, NASCAR street race. I will say, uh, I was very disappointed that these concerts got canceled. I got robbed of seeing Derek Miranda Lambert. Uh, I also did not get to see the chain smokers and, uh, uh, I did get to see the black crows though. Uh, fortunately I, I will say like, what am I supposed to do now that I didn't get to see the chain smokers? If the, the girl with her, her Rover that she can't afford, what, what, can she afford it now? I need a follow up. I, I need well, to know if probably, she was able to pay off probably that rover. Be held closer while she bites that tattoo on her shoulder. <laughs> uh, you know, the chain smokers, yeah. I mean, that probably ranks right up there with, you know, me <laughs> all out boy at the NFL draft this year. <laughs> you know, sugar, we're going down swinging. Um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I I needed that answer. I, I wanted to know if she paid off a rover yet. You know, uh, it, I made things aren't cheap. Yeah, gosh. Uh, but Chicago was a blast. It was a good time. Uh, it was pouring down rain uh, for much of the race, but fortunately they did get it in on Sunday and had to reduce the race to 75 laps. Derek, as a, as a non-NASCAR fan, let me ask you this, since you would have a non-biased opinion on this. I'm very curious how you feel. Um, this has been a debate of, of people I've talked with that were watching the race or they heard about it, whatever. Um, the guy that won, uh, mm -hmm. they call him SVG uh, for short. Uh, Shane Van Gisenberger is his real name, but we'll call him SVG. He okay. wins this race, okay? In his first career start, comes over from Australia where he'd done street racing and all that. Um, the race got shortened from 100 to 75 laps. And people like myself included said, you know, this is a huge upset for a guy to win his first career start. First time somebody at the cup levels won in 40 years. But the race got shortened because of light, because of darkness from 100 to 75 laps. So, it was it was a big deal, sure, but was it Mickey Mouse? Was it a Mickey Mouse win? Um, I mean, seventy five laps is still a lot. So, okay. so, no. so you're not throwing the Mickey Mouse label there. No, no. <laughs> uh, I just think that not like uh, LeBron's championship. No, it's not. It's not like the bubble championship. <laughs> uh, that team's still not finishing top four in the West. By the way. Um, but no, I mean, 75 is still a lot, man. I mean, you're talking three quarters of a hundred. Yeah. So I, that's, I just love any excuse to use the term Mickey Mouse. That was one of the best developments, I think, to come out of the pandemic was getting to throw at things and say that's a Mickey Mouse win or Mickey Mouse championship. Right. But there's no, there's no Disney park in, in Chicago. So, I mean, you could say like a Six Flags win maybe or something but uh, i i mean don't take this the wrong way folks but a, a disney world in chicago might not work i don't think it would either <laughs> far high crime rate <laughs> yeah maybe so so uh chicago good time taco bell cantina success everybody should go to a taco bell cantina uh right. enjoy themselves there and and uh i had a great time but 
Nonetheless, uh, Derek, uh, let's start on the NBA side of things today. Um, Damian Lillard wants out of Portland. Uh, I think the expectation is that he's going to end up with the Miami Heat when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, this comes after they drafted Scoot Henderson and everything. And, yeah. and, and you know, I understand Damian's frustration um, of why he wants out and you know, getting to this point. And he's given them plenty of opportunities to build a good roster around him. And that ownership group, that management there in Portland's just so, been so incompetent. Uh, that they haven't given Damian what he needs to succeed. And he's he's given them plenty of opportunities to do that with the investment he's had there. Uh, with that said, didn't Portland just totally screw all this up? I mean, next year's draft is much worse than this year's draft. And so you trade him now, and you're going to get your, your pick value next year isn't going to be as good as it is now. Uh, and you just push the timeline back. Um, everything about this, besides just how Damien's career went in Portland of not surrounding talent around him, I mean, what a what a disaster that this could they have handled this deal any worse than what they have? Well, I mean, I think the reason part of the reason they drafted Scoot Henderson at number three um, was because of the fact that they knew they were going to have to rebuild and he's going to be the point guard of the future. the The thing is with Portland is, I mean. Even go back to the time when Bill Walton was was with the Trailblazers and that team won the NBA championship in 1977. That was all built through the draft. You know, free agency wasn't a thing. You know, how many guys sit here year in and year out as great of a player as Dame is? He's one of the 75 greatest players in NBA history. I love his game. Um, he's one of my favorite players to watch. But. No free agents, no big name free agents are going to go to Portland. It's hard. It's it's in yeah. the West Coast, always raining. Like, yeah, you got Nike near you, but you can get that Nike contract sitting on a beach playing in Miami. You can get that Nike contract living in Charlotte playing for the Hornets or playing, you know, somewhere else playing in, in, in Philadelphia or even San Antonio or Dallas or or places like that. So they don't really have a lot to offer. And you're talking about a team that since he was there, they've only made the conference finals once. They got swept in, in 2019. You know, they, they struggle at times to keep their own players. I mean, obviously, LaMarcus Aldridge gave everything he had to that franchise before he eventually bolted after being there over a decade and then going and playing and signing with the San Antonio Spurs to try to win a ring because you can win in San Antonio. And so – it's just hard. And as much as people want to sit here and say that superstars shouldn't do this or super superstars shouldn't do that. I don't think you can question anything that Damian Lillard did. He gave Portland every single thing that he had, and it's just so impossible to win there. No matter what ownership group you have, no matter who you have as the GM, because at the end of the day, free agency Free agents don't want to go to Portland. It's not a destination. And that's something that works against them. So unless you're killing it and hitting on picks in the draft like they did with Damian Lillard um, when he went sixth in 2012 uh, out of Weber State, you're you're going to struggle. And, um, you know, the reports are that he only wants to play for Miami. That's the only team. But the unfortunate thing for him is he doesn't have a no trade clause in his contract and a team that honestly makes a lot of sense for him to go to 
would be the San Antonio Spurs. They just got Victor Wimbanyama. They're not going to give him to Portland, obviously, but they have the draft picks and the salary to be able to make it happen. And I actually think that would be pretty fun. It would help accelerate um, that that rebuild down there in San Antonio. But also we're talking about a guy like Dame who's 32, 33 years old. He needs to try to win now. And Miami just lost in the finals to a superior Nuggets team, but they were in the finals and Dame makes them immediately better. But you get to the point where you got to have a third team. And at this point right now, who's going to be that third team to come in and help orchestrate this move to Miami, which is where he wants to go. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, fascinating to see how it plays out. With that said, the Miami Heat is a team that got to the NBA Finals last year, uh, shocked everybody as an eight seed. Now yeah. you have Damian Lillard, and and I know that Tyler Hero appears to be the name that's coming up a lot in these trade talks, and Duncan. he wasn't there for uh, most of the postseason. And I, I'm wondering in Miami's circumstance, it's an interesting predicament, right, because – you are so close, and Damian Lillard would be the thing that gets you over the hump. But at the same time, too, you can't give up too much either that you, you know, even take a step back. I mean, what I'm very intrigued to see how Pat Riley maneuvers. Okay, we're bringing in Damian Lillard, but we're not going to get worse bringing in Damian Lillard. Can they accomplish that and get that done, you think? And that's where I think a third team has to come in because Miami doesn't really have the picks to be able to do it. They're obviously not going to trade Jimmy. They're not going to trade Bam. So those guys will be there. That's why it makes sense for, you know, a couple of picks, um, find a third team and also trade Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and then be able to go from there. Because if I'm Portland also, I want as many picks as I can, especially in the first round. Um, to see how this is going to go and how this is going to play out. And I'm going to want pieces that can come in and be a, rot- a rotational piece, be rotational because Portland's embarking on a rebuild with right. or without Lillard there, but it's most likely going to be without him. That's why they took Scoot. Yeah. Um, who were uh, some of your, your winners and losers so far of what we've seen through free agency to this point and the, the different trades that were made uh, that stood out to you. Who, who are some of your winners and losers that we've seen, uh, in, in your opinion, Derek? I would say loser, obviously, the first one that comes to mind is probably the Washington Wizards because you you trade Bradley Beal, you get Chris Paul, and then you send Chris Paul to the Warriors. Um, and then, you know, you, you get Jordan Poole back and you re-sign Kyle Kuzma. You know, credit to Kuzma for, for getting his money, $100 million. I, I personally don't think that he's worth that. Um, but I, I would say they're definitely up there. Um, I don't necessarily know that I have any team that's a winner. I have, I have what I would call head scratchers, like the Warriors re-signing Draymond Green, giving him four years, a hundred million dollars, 25 million a year. I, I don't think that he's worth that right now. Um, I've, I felt like his, his, his play declined a lot. Um, this season, especially in the playoffs when he struggled against the Lakers, um, struggled to guard Anthony Davis, struggled to guard LeBron. Um, I, I think the Celtics made some head-scratching moves. I would not have gotten rid of Marcus Smart to um, to get Christoph Porzingis. That guy, that's a guy who has struggled to stay healthy for the last uh, five years. 
I would I would throw Memphis in as a winner because they got Marcus Smart, and I think that he's actually going to fit in really well there. Yeah, and I that in terms of that is a team that needs a culture change. You let Dylan Brooks go. You have all the stuff going on with John Morant off the court with the 25 game suspension. You need a stabilizing figure in there of a guy who obviously hasn't won a championship, but has been in the conference finals the last few years and played in the NBA finals. And Marcus smart is a veteran. He is a defensive player of the year. And he, I think, is going to do so much for that locker room, which is what they desperately need in Memphis to be able to take that next step and be able to kind of steady and right the ship, especially with Ja missing basically the first third of the season. Right, right. Uh, I think you're absolutely right <clears throat> as far as that goes. And, you know, for me, when I look at uh, another winner, I, I like what the – the Dallas Mavericks did say what you want about Kyrie Irving, but they took a gamble with that trade they made to bring in Kyrie. And now you lock him up on a three-year extension and we're seeing them be aggressive and, and make some moves here. Um, Dallas, this is a make or break year for their future with, with, with Luca and company going up. I, I'm very intrigued. Uh, what I've seen, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I, I applaud at least, the Dallas Mavericks at least going all in and, and attempting things. Well, they were the only team that offered Kyrie what he got. I mean, the Lakers didn't pursue him. Nobody else pursued Kyrie. Given everything that comes with him off the court, right. take that out of the equation. On the court, he's a great player. There's no questioning or denying that. I, I think the addition of Grant Williams is going to be very good for them. Um, my biggest thing is I, I don't understand how you sit here a year later and you trade these draft picks when last year you could have done the simple thing and re-signed Jalen Brunson and, and paid way less money to keep him. And now you had to give up all the draft capital to the Nets to bring Kyrie in. You have to give him a hundred million dollars on that three-year deal. Um, I'll say this. I'm not a huge fan of what the Rockets did bringing in Dylan Brooks, but I do love their signing of Fred Van Vliet because that's a point guard that um, can score. He's really good. I don't know that he's worth $43 million a year, but, you know, the Rockets had to spend the cap space. So, um, you know, as the old Sprint commercial said, money doesn't spend itself. So I I, I definitely understand that. But um, been some some interesting things going on. Um, and everybody always says the NBA offseason is more interesting than the season. It is, and they're not joking uh, when when they say that. Uh, what about uh, what about Draymond here? Uh, a lot was made uh, about his situation uh, going yeah. into this. I think there was an expectation that he was going to leave Golden State and things weren't going to work out. Now, ultimately, you know, there he is headed back towards the Golden State Warriors. I don't know how much Draymond has left, if anything, at least at the, the level he's getting paid. I thought Golden State was way overpaying that. It, yeah. Isn't there going to come a point when Golden State's like, what What are we doing here? What What are we paying all this money and, and not seeing the results? Like, I, I feel like that they're – this was one of those deals. We've seen teams make this mistake in the past where you're paying on what somebody did in their past not what they're worth going forward. And right. 
this might end up being a situation where they're trying to buy him out or somebody say, please take Draymond later. Like this is, I thought that was a, a mistake on Golden State's part to do what they did. Well, and I think you could tell that throughout the entire season, the whole incident with him and Jordan Poole definitely affected the team and it affected the locker room. You could definitely see that in the Lakers series um, in the playoffs when Draymond said something to Jordan Poole and Jordan Poole just walked right by him. And then Chris Paul or not Chris Paul, then Steph goes over and talks to Draymond and Poole. Um so I, I think you had to move one of those two pieces. But, I mean, Draymond, I, I didn't see him being the defensive player that he was in the past this year. Um, you know, I think he's a really good defender. I, I think at times he's been overvalued um, in terms of his contribution. I, I don't understand why the late, why why the Warriors decided to bring in Chris Paul, I, I think it's mostly because of obviously it's an expiring contract and everybody knew he wasn't ever going to play uh, for the Washington Wizards when when the Phoenix Suns made that trade to bring in Bradley Beal. But this is one of those things of I, I don't know if the Warriors are trying to squeeze out, you know, maybe one last run with this core got group of Steph, Clay. And and Draymond, I mean, I think it's obvious that that Clay is not the player that he once was. He had a couple months stretch this year where he looked like, man, you know, that was that was the Clay of of old. But I don't think Clay's ever going to be the defender that he once was before these two injuries of the Achilles tear and tearing his ACL um, in in you know a year span. But it, it's just going to be interesting because. It, the Nuggets, obviously, their core is intact. They lose Bruce Brown, who went to the Pacers. They lose, um, they lose Jeff Green, but for the most part, most of their team's back. They're going to expect a lot out of guys like Christian Brown um, coming off the bench. But I, I just, it's hard for me to see. It's hard for me to see Draymond playing at a high level that we're used to. Chris Paul playing at a good level. I mean, I think Chris Paul's going to come off the bench which supposedly that's not going to happen, but I just don't see how you can play Steph, Clay, Chris, and Draymond. Like, I wonder five. What about uh, – you don't like the idea of Steph off ball? Um, I do a little bit um, because he's such a great catch-and-shoot guy, but I think that Steph is a lot more effective without the ball or with the ball because he's able to help clay because clay is so good off the ball. That's why clay doesn't have to draw. That's why clay doesn't have to dominate the ball. Um, and I mean, Steph gets other guys open looks too. And so, you know, Chris isn't the driver and the penetrator that he once was, you know, he'll hit the L jumper, but I, I just, I I'm very interested to see how that dynamic's going to work because, you know, Steph's a two-time MVP, and 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 I would I, I want the ball in his hands, not out of it. You know, and great, and we know he's the he's the greatest catch and shoot guy ever. But I, I just, it's hard for me to see that working a lot. Right. Yeah, I, I won four titles in nine years, not playing that way. Yeah, I I, I could see that. I, I I like the idea. I'm with you. Chris Paul coming off the bench, lead the second unit, be that spark plug, throw him on the floor in crunch time. Um, but yeah, Steve Kerr, he's done a great job. He'll figure it out one way or the other. But we'll see and this what the they first, do. Chris Paul is going or being on a team where he doesn't have to help try to establish a culture. Yes, a that's going to be new. Golden State has a winning culture already. 
Right. They've got four bands they can point to. Right. That happened recently. One loser, I think, too, um, you know, with, with looking at the, the, to me, the Houston Rockets, not only have they, you know, had terrible luck when it comes to the lottery the last couple of years, yeah. and that's a whole, a whole one's a whole different story. But here they are going into next year. They got a top four pick protected. But otherwise, if it's not top four, that pick goes to the Thunder. And you pay all that money to a all-star caliber guard and Fred Van Vliet. And I like Fred. Nothing against Fred at all. Yeah. Um, but Fred's not <laughs> going to get you in that top four. I mean, I'll be honest here. Like, again, don't take this the wrong way, folks. There's nothing getting personal against Fred. But why are you paying all that money to Fred just to be mediocre as opposed to bad? Like, you are... By signing Fred, you're almost guaranteeing you're giving up that draft pick to Oklahoma City. And, I mean, not to mention you're signing Dylan Brooks, too. Which, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that that's a, a problem in and of itself because I think that's a guy who thinks that he's a lot better than he is. Um, I knew the moment he started talking shit to LeBron in the playoffs that LeBron was going to go out the next game and just bust his ass, which is exactly what he did. Um, and you should know not to do that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think LeBron has the Michael Jordan killer mentality, but the great ones respond when you say the stuff that Dylan Brooks did. And I think part of the reason Memphis got their ass whipped in that series was because Dylan Brooks was running his mouth and he should have kept it shut. Um, but back to your point about Fred Van Vliet, he's good. I wouldn't say he's elite. I mean, I think he's a really good three-point shooter. Um, I think he's a really good ball handler. Um, I think a, a lot of the times he's a, he's a liability on defense because of how short he is. Um, you know, maybe they're hoping the Rockets, that is, that with bringing in Fred Van Vliet, that, you know, uh, Jabari Smith is going to take that leap um, into this next – the second year um, – uh, you know, and they've got uh, God. Who's the Who's the big man um, down there in Houston? Not Christian Wood, but uh, the other guy who I think is going to be pretty good. I, his name's escaping me. Um, but you know, I, I think Houston is thinking that maybe we add a couple of these pieces, like a Dylan Brooks and like a Fred Van Vliet, and that can get them to the playoffs. You're talking about Jabari Smith? Not Not Jabari Smith. Um, Sin Sengun or something. Sengun. Uh, Alperin Sengun. Yeah, him. I, I I think they might they probably are, are thinking that he's gonna take a big that he's gonna take a big step forward coming into this next season. Yeah, yeah. Uh we'll see uh, exactly what they do, but it's been fascinating uh, the last uh couple of weeks uh, already with how things gone this offseason. One more thing on the NBA front, uh announced that the final four for the play in tournament is gonna be played in Vegas. Uh Derek the expectation is that whenever the NBA expands, Vegas will likely get a team, Seattle yeah. to get a team too. Uh, we saw the All-Star game there many years ago in Vegas. And Vegas, uh, the sports town that is becoming everything here. This this just makes sense. Uh, you know, and I don't know if the play-in tournament's gonna be a success or not. I like the idea. I don't know how yeah. much it's really needed, but uh I am not shocked at all one bit that the NBA wants to tap into that Vegas market for this deal. 
No, not at all. Because they're, you know, it's so funny, Tyler. For for years, all we heard was, "Oh, you you can't have pro sports in Vegas. Can't have pro sports in Vegas." Okay. Since then, the 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 Las Vegas Golden Knights have played in two Stanley Cups since 2017, 2018, winning one this past year. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, not a great product necessarily all the time on the field, uh, but they have been a hit there. And now the Oakland Athletics are about to move to the Vegas Henderson area. And all this thought of, you know, gambling and how this could be so bad and this, that, and the other. Well, that's not been the problem. The problem's been these dumbasses gambling on their own teams in their own facilities when they're not allowed. It's not been the problem. It's been those other things that have been going on. So I think it would be great if if Vegas had an NBA team. Um, Obviously, I really want to see the Sonics back in Seattle. Um, I feel like that was a very bad situation in terms of how that was handled um, with, you know, key arena and everything. Um, The the city of Seattle definitely deserves the Sonics back. So I I think it would be a ton of fun to be able to watch and see that in Vegas. And it adds a different element because you're playing on a neutral court. Um, It reminds you of college a little bit. And, you know, these are the best athletes in the world. So it will be very interesting to see how they would adjust to it um, and see how it would go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. There you have it. That's your look uh, around the NBA uh, with what's happened so far to this point. John Kurtz going to join us uh, coming up later on. Coach Bo is going to be here draft season as well. Uh, But before we get to any of that, though, uh, let's go ahead and get to the uh, Big 12 breakdown this week. Let's start with San Diego State. And we'll go more in depth on this when, uh, when John joins us coming up in just a moment. But San Diego State withdraws their withdrawal letter from the Mountain West Conference, meaning they'll stay. But at the same time, the Mountain West is withholding their $6 million in TV money that they are supposed to be paid as they are under the presumption that they are leaving the league. But nonetheless, um, all indications point to, Derek, this is not the Big 12's problem, that San Diego State is not joining the Big 12 anytime soon, that it sounds like this was the Pac-12, and the Pac-12, kind of, you know, being coy with San Diego State. San Diego State was trying to cover their ass so they wouldn't have to pay the a 30-plus million dollar exit fee as opposed to $17 million here. Um, like we said, it doesn't affect the Big 12 at all. It's not the Big 12's issue, but another screw-up on the Pac-12's front and leave San Diego State out to dry here. I feel bad for the Aztecs because they've done everything they need to do to be a power five program. Their basketball team with the national championship, they're investing in football, get a new football stadium and everything. Um, They did, they did not deserve to be treated like they're being treated, being screwed by the PAC 12 right now. Yeah. And their, and their football team has had multiple nine win seasons in the last couple of years too. So, um, you know, they, they definitely deserve to be at the power five level. I I think people need to understand one thing and that is that we are, you know, year, uh, we, we are sooner rather than later going to see the PAC 12 break apart. Um, because I think of the power five leagues, it's the weakest. Um, you already have heard that it's almost a formality that Colorado is coming back to the big 12. Um, you know, they look like it's leaving when they left to go to uh, the Pac-12 a couple years ago. Um, 
you know, San Diego State is is trying to do what what they can best to find the best offer. And the Pac-12 is just out there hanging them out to dry. And now they've got money being withheld from them, which I think that makes the Mountain West look like look like an idiot. You know, this team is from your conference still right now. They just played in the national championship and had the Mountain West on the national stage. Let's not forget. Yeah, they lost the national championship. But that final four game with um, uh with Florida Atlantic was a great game that came down to a buzzer beater. So, you know, you, you shouldn't be surprised that you, the best program, especially basketball wise in your conference is, is wanted so badly by the best basketball league in the country. And I actually think that the big 12 is going to be a lot of fun once it gets Colorado back. And I think with the potential of getting Oregon or Arizona and Arizona state back, um, as well, I think UCF is a sleeping giant potentially um, in the Big 12 with the alums that they have and a brand new football stadium coming for them and everything else. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how how that goes. And, you know, I, I think conferences like the Mountain West and the Pac-12 are going to get left behind. It's like the old Moneyball scene, adapt or die. Yeah, exactly. Adapt or die, as they say. And as far as the Big 12 goes in San Diego State, Derek, I don't know how you feel, but I've been consistent. I've said this the entire time. It's all comes down to money. If San Diego State can bring you a revenue share where everybody else doesn't take a step back, if, if Fox and ESPN said, yeah, we'll pay them as if they're a true Power Five member and, and get the full revenue share, then sure, I, I'd consider San Diego State. But I, I don't think it's worth bringing in San Diego State to lose money um that's all that's what it all comes down to for me uh as far as san diego state i don't think they're coming to the big 12 but if they do it can't be a situation where you lose money for adding them no not at all you cannot have especially with as hard as brett your mark has worked to get that deal with the um to get the deal like he got with um Fox and everything else to where they're going to make more when they lose programs like Texas and Oklahoma who go to the who go to the SEC next year. If you're not going to make more money, I don't think you bring San Diego State in at all. I wouldn't do that. You cannot afford to lose money, especially with losing your two biggest name programs. Um, that being, you know, Oklahoma and Texas after this year. Right, right. I, I think you and I are on the same page. We would take them if you don't if you don't lose money. Right. Um, but if you're going to lose money, it's not worth it uh, as far as that goes. So more on that when uh, Kurtz joins us coming up in just a bit. Preseason all Big 12 football team is out. Media Day is coming up next week. Uh, Derek, I'm going to run through these real quick, and then uh, we'll react to them. Here's the all Big 12 first team offense. Jalen Daniels at quarterback from Kansas. Richard Reese running back from Baylor. Devin Neal running back from Kansas. Ben uh, Sanat, fullback from K-State. Brendan Presley, wide receiver from Oklahoma State. Xavier Worthy, wide receiver from Texas. Uh, Jaran Bradley, uh, wide receiver from Texas Tech. Uh, Jatavion Sanders, tight end from Texas. Kingley uh, Sumanatia, offensive lineman from BYU. Mike Nowitzki, offensive lineman from KU. Cooper Beebe, offensive lineman from K-State. Calvin Banks, offensive lineman from Texas. Zach Frazier, offensive lineman from West Virginia. Griffin Kell, punt uh, and kick returner from uh, – or place kicker from TCU. And then Phillip Brooks, kick and punt returner from K-State. Uh, Derek, uh, starting with that offense there, 
I, as a KU guy, I know you feel the same way. I love seeing Jalen and Daniel, uh, Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal make that first team, and it's well deserved. I, I think that KU going into 2023 has the best quarterback and the best running back in this league. Yeah, and 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 I think you can. I think that's absolutely the case when you're looking at it from an unbiased opinion. I have nothing against Will Howard or Quinn Ewers, but when you take in the ability of Jalen Hurts as a passer, who, by the way, second in the nation last year in total QBR, second in the nation only behind Caleb Williams, um, and then you take his ability to be a runner, um, I you have an unbelievable opportunity. Jalen has the opportunity, if he stays healthy for the whole season, to be a guy who throws for 3,000 yards and rushes for 1,000. That would be the first time the Big 12 has a, has a quarterback that does that since Jalen Hurts' last year, his only year, at Oklahoma in 2019. Jalen has that ability. I don't know what if he'll go on to be what J, what what uh, Jalen Hurts was in the NFL, but Jalen Daniels' overall game is the best quarterback in the Big Twelve, and I would hope that most K State fans would agree that Will Howard is a really good pocket passer. He struggles to run, he struggles to get down and slide, and I think he takes bigger hits than he should. And I mean, we can sit here and say it, Tyler. You know, last year Kansas loses games by seven, eight, ten, twelve. If if Jalen Daniels is not hurt, how many of those games might they win? Right. Well, and, and then think about this, too. I know you mentioned the comparison between him and Will Howard. One thing I heard here in the state of Texas was, well, Quinn is the, the guy that's got the best pro potential or, you know, even Dylan Gabriel might end up working his way to be a first round pick and all that. Well, that's cool. I mean, congrats. But this is not about who the best NFL quarterback is. This is about the best college quarterback in the big 12 that's a totally different argument yeah it, it it absolutely is because you can be a great quarterback in college and go on to suck in the nfl look at guys like robert griffin look at guys like this is Zach not a draft board this is conference right. awards right right this is preseason conference awards and it says a lot that going into the third season of lance leipold era that they had that that the media from around the conference sees this guy at Kansas as the best quarterback in college in the conference which is amazing and Tyler we've had the conversations and and I I think most people will agree um you know the 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 Devin Neal if healthy is the best player on the field no matter who they're playing you know the the Oklahoma State game last year where he had 330 total yards from scrimmage where he had over 200 yards rushing over 110 yards receiving and they followed that up with 190 yards uh on the ground at at Texas Tech and then eight yards receiving you know he was close to having back-to-back 200 plus yard all-purpose games which which is amazing Devin Neal will play on Sundays but at the end of the day I, I don't even think that that argument is really up for debate because he is the best running back coming back. And he is the big 12's leading rusher uh, returning since B. John Robinson has gone on to the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this and, you know, we'll get to the defensive side here in just a second, but the same can be said for both sides, all encompassing. Derek, I see a lot of Texas players here, you know, Xavier worthy, um, we mentioned Sanders and Banks. Um, you know, you look at 
just at that depth chart. I, I was reading about Texas this week. Talent's not the issue there, UT. I mean, they are far and away the most talented team in the Big 12, no question about it. And, and if this was a talent contest, purely based on talent, Texas would not only win the league with these, they'd probably be a playoff team based on talent. But yeah. I'm skeptical about Sark, the Texas ego, and all that that comes involved, those different factors here. Um, the talent's not the issue. It's the other, it's the other shit that's in Texas's way here. Yeah. And the other the other shit is, you know, I'm not a big believer in Steve Sarkeesian. And I think Texas and Oklahoma fans need to get used to the fact that, you know, eight and four might become the regular norm going to the SEC. Um, but yeah, Texas is absolutely the most talented. You know, they've got the most pro ready guys on their roster. And I'm sure next year when the NFL draft rolls around, we'll see a lot of guys drafted. Um from from texas the first you know especially the first three rounds which is on the first two days but you know i, I think sark struck i'm anxious to see how sark is going to do with not having Bijan robinson in the backfield because i think that's going to be a huge difference for him because whoever's stepping into his shoes has big big shoes to play to to play in because that guy is a generational talent in the college game, in my opinion. Like I think Bijan Robinson's going to be a stud in the NFL. So losing that, how are they going to be able to adjust? Because I do think that took a lot of pressure off Quinn Ewers last year. Yeah. Let's go to the defensive side now. Uh your defensive line, uh Dante Corleone from Cincinnati, Ethan Downs from Oklahoma, Dominic Williams from TCU, Byron Murphy, the second from Texas. And uh, Jalen Hutchins from Texas Tech. Your linebacking core includes Colin Oliver from Oklahoma State, Johnny Hodges from TCU, Jalen Ford from Texas. Uh, defensive backs, TJ Tampa from Iowa State, Kobe Bryant from uh, KU. Doesn't want to go by Jacoby anymore. He's Kobe now. I'm, nope. I'm curious. I, I'm, I got into it with his dad over DMs. His dad was mad at me because I said he needs to wear – either eight or 24. And he's like, why would I do that? Well, if he's going to go by Kobe, he needs to wear eight or yeah. 24. I mean, and he's like, well, I like the number two. I'm like, well, okay. Anyways. Yeah. Um, Kobe Savage from K-State defensive back. Kendall Daniels from Oklahoma State defensive back. Joshua Newton defensive back from TCU. And then the punter is a uh, Mason Fletcher from Cincinnati. Uh, Derek, uh, when I look at this all defensive team, what uh what stands out to me, I, I see a lot of a lot of different schools come up from Kansas to Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, K-State. Uh, you know, they're to me, I, I'm very curious. I, I don't know if the league's going to have uh, you know, we're used to seeing that the the memo when it comes to Big 12 typically is not much of a defensive league. When I see that talent and sprinkled around the league, I think the defenses in this league are going to be a lot better than what they're given credit for. This is not the Big 12, not your mom and dad's Big 12 10 years ago when this league didn't play defense. Those days are over. No, I I, I agree with that. But one of the things, it's so funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up. Am I missing the boat on Joe McGuire? What am I missing? You know, I I I don't think that he's gonna be that great. I don't think that he's going to have um, a lot of success at Texas Tech 
Um, well, all that, that hype train, people like Brett McMurphy picking them to go to the playoff. You want to talk about talent? Two players I, on the All Big 12 first team. Yeah. Like, he's a good I, coach, but the talent's still not quite where it needs to be for that. I think for them to take that next step, I think they're still another year away from that mantle. Well, but I, I don't even think Joey McGuire is going to be there that long because I don't think Texas Tech is that good of a job. I think Texas Tech Maybe, is a little yeah. bit. I, I think Texas Tech gets a, a, a more notoriety right now because the best player in the NFL went there. Um, yeah. And even even with Patrick Mahomes doing that, you still don't see guys, five stars lining up to go play, you know, for the Red Raider Nation. And so that that's just something that, that cracks me up is that, you know, I've said, I'm like, am I missing something on Joey McGuire? Like, you know, does he have, you know, is this tuck everlasting? Does he have the 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 miracle cure or or whatnot? I, I just don't see it with them. Um, you know, I, I think um, a team that could struggle a lot on the defensive side of the ball is Oklahoma. Um, I know this they don't is have eight- very good athletes. Oklahoma is small and – yeah, uh, doesn't have much speed, and we know size matters. Yeah, exactly, on and off the field. Um, but you know, I I I think it's going to be a struggle, especially for them, uh, because and and that's what's crazy is that's Brent Venables' side of the ball. But I I think Brent Venables is going to learn this year. If not, you, you never know when it's going to be then because it might not happen. I think he needs to bring in somebody to be his defensive coordinator. I don't think Brent. Venables can handle being the head coach, having those duties and calling a side of the ball. I know there are guys that can do it. Absolutely. But I don't believe that, that Brent Venables is one of those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he is the play caller, but he does have like two DCs there. And one of them's Ted roof, who I think is just absolutely terrible. Um, and you know, the, this is a guy that, you know, he, he's, he's, Ted Roof is the type of guy that will have a beer at a Little League baseball game. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's who Ted Roof is. And and that just didn't work last year for, for OU on, on defense. And we'll end on this with the Sooners. Um, as far as that defense goes, I think they're, they find themselves between a rock and a hard place because, Derek, you're looking at BB's done an incredible job. Venables has – when it comes to recruiting, uh, especially high school talent, and, like, the future looks really good for that defense for the next several years to come with the players they're bringing in and what they're doing with that program. But you still have some of Lincoln Riley's old guys for the most part, and your younger players are still developing. Like, it's just a a bad point in time for that OU defense that they don't have everything coming together at this time. They're they're still – a year away from getting Brent Venables guys there and developed and also moving on from the, the Lincoln Riley types. Cause that's a, that's a whole different defense than they're doing than, than what they did previously. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. And, and I mean, I would recommend to Brent Venables winning more than six games this year, because I think you're going to have to have that, especially needing momentum going towards uh, the sec next year. Um, you know, I, I I just I, I don't see it with them. I think they're a team that even with with Dylan Gabriel, they're going to struggle. Um, and we know the defensive side of the ball, like we've gone back and forth about down there that at Oklahoma, they're going to need it because there are some teams that can score. I mean, uh, you know, 
you're, you're adding in UCF this year. You're adding in, um, you know, BYU, Cincinnati. I actually think Cincinnati might be the worst of the group that's being added this year um, uh, in terms of where their football program's going. I think there's a reason Luke Fickle got out. Obviously, Wisconsin has more money. It's a better job. There's more to be able to, to have I done. I was reading this week that he apparently was very checked out early on last year that had absolutely zero interest and being a part of their transition to the Big 12. Yeah, I, I read that as well. I, I heard that uh, too. So it'll be very interesting to see how how that goes. Um, because they just looked – he looked disinterested last year, the first game of the year when they were playing Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how some of these teams do, you know – Who's going to do what? I mean, obviously, we, we talk about, you know, Texas Tech, you know, Tyree Wilson went um, went in the first round of the NFL draft. But I don't see the the recruits lining up to to go to um, Texas Tech, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's an anomaly and an outlier. Um, you know, BYU is normally pretty good on defense. So it'll be very interesting to see how this looks now with the media picks compared to how it looks when um, – when when games have actually been played and pads have actually been put on, um, you know, I, I think Kansas's defense, if they just improve marginally, go from giving up 300 yards rushing a game to, you know, maybe 160, that would be a drastic improvement. And that would help them out a ton uh, in the win-loss column. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we'll have uh, more to get to uh, coming up. John Kurtz going to join us. Coach Bo's going to stop by. Draft season coming up later. We will pick our childhood crushes, our favorites. We'll get to those uh, coming up. And uh, Tom Fullery, still to come. Stay with us as we continue here on the Jones Sport. Join us now, Jones Sport this week. Pleased to welcome in from the KC Sports Network. Also, you can find him on YouTube, talking all things Big 12 and K-State. Uh, he's been all over the realignment stuff since the very beginning when OU and Texas announced they were headed towards the SEC. It's John Kurtz who joins us uh, right now on the Jones Sport this week. John, always appreciate the time, as always, man. And now here we are. It's uh, it's kind of put up or shut up time, isn't it? I, I think that we're finally going to get some answers here one way or the other soon, right? Let's hope. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of been the deal with the, the Pac-12 this whole time. We're, we're, in fact, talking on the one-year anniversary of when they – actually got authorization to go pursue that TV deal a, a little bit earlier than what traditionally was the case. Now, of course, a year ago when that started, the Big 12 had not come in and gotten their deal done as well, which has put a lot of pressure uh, certainly on the Pac-12. And they're feeling it from all corners right now. This awkward situation with San Diego State, you know, is something that that kind of looms over them. They want to wait to expand until they get a TV deal done. But the bottom line is we, we heard multiple times from leadership in the Pac-12, whether it's presidents or athletic directors, that it was just a couple of weeks away. And these have all been occurrences months ago. It has happened over and over again. It seems that the word they get from the top from George Klievkov has always been a little bit misleading or premature. And that has led them to a lot of PR fiascos, quite frankly, in all of this. And, and one of those was even a unity statement that they put out about three and a half months ago that said the deal was going to be consummated in the, the very near future. And uh, obviously that that has not happened either. So we are kind of in a boy who cried wolf situation here where I just won't believe anything until I see it because I've heard it so many times from the Pac-12. But yes, you are right. There are more and more whispers that it seems like it is getting closer. Whether or not that hits what was put out by John Wilner, um, who was one of the best reporters covering this on the West Coast. He put out like a soft deadline of July 21st, which is Pac-12 media days. 
Seems iffy as to whether or not that's going to happen. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated kind of threw some cold water on that. Uh, we saw today one of the reports come out that was loosely floating like Labor Day, which is basically the, the beginning of the college football season, which I think it would really behoove the Pac-12 to do that because they're they're poised to have a really big year actually on the field, and they don't want this completely overshadowing everything. But as of right now, I mean, until I see uh, concrete evidence that they have a TV deal and have a TV deal actually laid out there to all of these uh, member institutions, it's it's hard for me to have a ton of faith that, that they're going to come through just because we've seen it so many times now. Now, on the Big 12's end of things, we've heard, uh, you know, from Brett Yormark say recently that even after Oklahoma and Texas leave, he wants the league to at least be 14 members. Is there some type of deadline the Big 12 has in mind of when they need to know something one way or the other, or are they just kind of just waiting back and have all the time in the world? What's the Big 12 standpoint of needing an answer from schools like Colorado and Arizona or others? I think the Big 12 is in a position where they can be pretty patient and picky. Um, once they took care of the four schools that were added when Bob Bowlesby was still the commissioner right after Texas and Oklahoma left, you got yourself back to a really stable position. And we've heard them talk a lot about how unified the conference is, how stable relatively it is compared to how it's been throughout much of the history of the conference. It is because, yes, in part, the detractors will say, well, there's nobody that's really wanted by the two big boys. And, and that is true. Uh, but we're also at a point now where it's almost like outside of maybe a couple of the ACC schools, I mean, no, nobody is really additive to any of these conferences. Notre Dame would be the only one you could say is convincingly additive. So it's almost like everybody is in that sort of situation right now. But the Big 12 has the most stable footing of anybody there. So because you don't need to go reach to get somebody, you have your TV deal locked up. Long term now, you're not going to have to worry about that for a little while. You know, we're talking like four or five years down the line when you'd have to start worrying about that again. Got that taken care of. You've got all your schools. You know that you're going to be making about $32 million per school over the lifetime of this deal, which is good. Like everything's kind of set. So if you can enhance the league, sure, you do it, but you don't need to reach for anybody at this point. And so I, I think you just wait and see how the landscape plays out. And that goes for obviously the Pac-12 and waiting on like an Arizona-Colorado sort of combination. Maybe it leads to a Utah, maybe Arizona State, though they seem to be the most hesitant right now. But you're also looking at like the ACC and what's going to shake out there, which, I, you know, I don't I don't think that that is going to happen anytime soon because you've had seven schools already admit that they're going out and, you know, just parsing through this grant of rights with lawyers and no one's been able to figure it out. So I doubt that anything happens with that anytime soon, but you might as well wait and you don't really need to go reach for like, say, like San Diego State right now is an interesting one. And a lot of people have asked, like, why doesn't the Big 12 just go take that from right under the Pac-12's nose? If it's not a legitimate Power 5 program right now that you're sure you could get the pro rata to kick in on the contract, uh, the TV contract to get you a full share with them coming in. I just don't think that you need to push it right now. So, you know, even when you're talking about like Gonzaga, UConn, which that's gotten some run and the Big 12 trying to strengthen basketball. I don't think that they need to be in any sort of hurry or rush with that, too. Right now, the focus has to be on seeing what happens with the four corners, maybe back burner of the ACC. And then if the four corners aren't going to go, then you start turning your attention to like Gonzaga, UConn, and how can we build this basketball thing up? Yeah, uh, that's that's a great point. And with San Diego State, uh, I, I think that they impressed on a national stage, get to the national championship in basketball. But what they've done with football, the investments there – that looks like a, a power five quality program and seems to make a lot of sense for the Pac-12. But in the Big 12 standpoint, if the money just doesn't add up, I, I'm sorry. San Diego State, I think, would be a nice addition. But if the money's not there, there's nothing you can really do about it. In San Diego State's case, it sounded like that they were trying to leave, ultimately withdrew the, uh, you know, what, what they had announced of that that uh, that letter 
What what is the end game? Is San Diego State still waiting here, or you think they end up in the Pac-12 when it's all said and done? Well, first of all, I feel I feel terrible for them because they are really victims of George Klievkov's inability to get this TV deal done. Like we said, it was a year ago that they started the discussions for that. And so at that point, San Diego State's saying, well, we've got until June 30th of 2023 to get this done before our exit fee jumps from 17 million, which is manageable, to double that, 34 million, which is not uh, for San Diego State. And for point of reference, they're getting about $6 million a year from the conference for their TV deal right now. So 17 to 34 million is a huge jump for them. And it's why that June 30th deadline was so significant. And so what happened there is, Pac-12 keeps kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road. They have said they don't want to expand until they get the TV deal done first. So all of a sudden we got into June and the Pat or the, the San Diego state leadership was like, okay, well, we're, we're in a tight spot here. We cannot have this thing jump up to 34 million for us. That is not going to be very doable. Let's see. And you can agree or disagree with this move, but they said, let's see if we can get the conference to budge on either extending the deadline or cutting us a little bit of financial slack with any of this. So they write a formal letter saying that. And at the same time, their thought was, hey, we're trying to be courteous here. And they're saying our intention is to eventually leave. We'd like to see if you could give us these kind of handouts right now to help us with this process. And using the justification of we made you $10 million extra million for what we did in the NCAA tournament this year. Well, the Mountain West turned around and said, one, we take this as a formal letter of resignation since you basically danced around that and hinted at it. And two, you're not getting any help on anything, which, I mean, I can certainly understand the Mountain West position on that. So it was back and forth, war of words with the letters. San Diego State had to come back with their tail tucked between their leg on June 30th because, of course, there wasn't a Pac-12 deal. And now the Mountain West has said, well, too bad. Uh, we're, we're still going to say that you're withdrawing from the conference. Now, I believe the plan is like June or July 17th, rather, was the date that I believe I saw it throughout when the, the Mountain West was going to formally meet about this. Until then, I mean, San Diego State's just kind of in a weird limbo where they they don't, I guess, technically really have a, a future conference home right now. But I would say for San Diego State in the short term, I don't think there's any. I do think that while this has got a lot of headlines, they're probably not in as bad a position as most people think because they they do really have some leverage here. I mean, is the Mountain West really going to basically cut off its nose to spite its face and say, hey, we're not going we're, we're going to kick out. We're not going to let back in the biggest brand that we have the team that just went to the national championship game in college basketball that has a beautiful new football stadium. It has won double digit games of football multiple times in the last decade. We're not going to let them come in our conference. We're going to take the financial hit from that just to like teach them a lesson. I, they kind of need each other right now. I'd compare it to like a, a divorce situation. It's like a stay together for the kids right now. Like, you know where this is going, you know that eventually this is going to break up, but for right now, the two kind of need each other. I think that's the situation that they're in. So I'd imagine that gets worked out. And then it will just depend on whether or not we're back to the Pac-12 deal again with so many people waiting on this and hanging out, so many things hanging in the balance. It just comes back to, can Klyevkov deliver a deal that's going to keep everybody together in the Pac-12? If he does, it's a cinch. San Diego State's going to be in there. Uh, if he doesn't, then San Diego State, I, I guess, is probably stuck in the Mountain West for the time being because that that league would just dissolve. So that that's really it. Can you keep the Pac-12 together? If so, San Diego State's going to be there. If not, they'll, they'll probably be stuck in the Mountain West. What's the uh, Pac-12's TV situation looking like right now? We've heard that ESPN wasn't interested unless they could get in potentially cheap, that Fox was out, NBC, CBS were all out, Amazon and Apple were dancing around. We've seen the CW mentioned, uh, you know, the uh, we've seen a a number of things brought up. I think even Ion was uh, was joked about one point in time. What's the 
the Pac-12 looking at potentially for a TV deal? Because I imagine that it's not going to be anywhere close to the Big 12, not just in revenue, but even in distribution. How's anybody even going to see these games? Yeah, that, that's that's been the crux of a lot of the issue here. Uh, the, the theory has been that they could get fairly close to that 32 million number that the Big 12 has. But if they were going to do that, they'd be sacrificing a lot of visibility by having to go really heavy with a streaming component of it, which I know everybody says, well, that's obviously the future, but we're not quite there yet. When you think about right. linear TV options, like you want to, you still want to be in sports bars. And if your games are all on like an app, like you got to access some app through Apple, it's going to be a tougher sell to get that just on the random sports bar. I'm, look, sports bars will be able to find it if they want to show your game, but we're talking about things the Pac-12 has complained about for years, like our games just aren't on and we lose out on Heisman hype because of it. If you're, if there's a random bar in Boston, you know, you would throw on a game that's on ESPN late at night. If it's going to be to get Pac-12 football, you have to fire up an app. You're not going to have that game on there. It's going to hurt your visibility overall. And that that's I mean, why this is discussed Half a lot. these bars, John, don't even know that they can pull up ESPN Plus on their DirecTV business account. I mean, as is, you know, I mean, like that's that's going to be about. Yeah, you're just asking too much out of out of people to go out of your way to put on a product that has been subpar on the field too lately. Now, they're about to have a really big year, I think, this year on the field, but in general, hasn't been a lot of hype for it. So that, that's that been the, the discussion there. As far as how it's going to happen, I mean, I think probably the best source of information throughout all of this has been um, John O'Rand and Andrew Marchand, who mm-hmm. do a podcast together, and they're sports media reporters. So you get a lot of reporting here that people will accuse of being biased on both sides, and I think it's happened on both sides. Like people who are more getting information from the big 12 side, people who are more taking it from a PAC 12 slant. It's hard to decipher how much spin is in all of those reports, but these guys, no dog in the fight, like they're East coast based media reporters. And I I had Andrew Marchand on, on my show not too long ago. And he basically was laying out like in the industry, people don't quite understand where it is going to come from. The PAC 12 continues to say and, and leak through their sources that something is coming. It'll be good and we'll keep everybody together. But the thought has been like, we don't know exactly where that's going to come from because ESPN, I think, is still a factor here, but they're not going to pay a premium price for it. ESPN would want to be in at a discount, maybe still keep their late night slots, but it's not going to be anywhere near the money that one, the PAC 12 probably could have had at one point and that the PAC 12 or, or that the Big 12 got from ESPN. Fox doesn't seem like it's really very heavily involved. Um, you know, there've been some talk of like NBC. I don't think like NBC is involved here. Amazon, it feels like is, is probably trending more towards out. So you, you land on like, there's been a lot of buzz lately about the CW and Apple TV, like Apple being involved here and maybe even Apple buys the whole thing. And then basically like sub licenses, the content out to some more linear distributors. That's something that's been talked about here. I would expect that Apple probably is involved at, at some level, not just because we've seen enough smoke about it, but also because the caveat with Apple always was, again, from the guys that are doing the sports business reporting, that Apple is persnickety. That was their word in negotiations. They don't they don't really bow to anybody's timeline. They're going to do it on their time. I mean, it's, it's freaking Apple. They don't need to uh, try to acquiesce to the Pac-12 because they have some arbitrary deadline. Apple's going to do it on Apple time. So that would, to me, be a sensical way to say, like, why this has been extended as long as it has but I still kind of struggle to see how you're going to get to either the the monetary figure that the big 12 has, or just a combination of close enough in money and close enough in distribution when the big 12 already has ESPN and Fox locked down. So that's kind of the cliff notes version of the predicament that the PAC 12 is in. And, you know, there've been a lot of jokes about the CW, frankly, based on some of the options that they have, the CW at least is like on most cable packages, you know? So there at least is, it's not where most sports fans would think to go, 
but you can definitely find it if you are somebody that has a typical cable package or YouTube TV or whatever it might be. So that's actually not the worst option in the world, even though the, the thought of, you know, uh, Cal Stanford coming on after Gossip Girls or Gilmore Girls is pretty funny. Um, that's uh, that's that's legitimately a possibility out there right now for the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, somebody at one point in time, the NFL going to Fox was thought to be an odd thing and uh, worked out the way it did. So uh, something interesting for sure. But let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the Big 12 has time on their side to be patient and and how they go about this. And one thing that stands out to me is this whole grant to rights situation. In Oklahoma and Texas case, when they left, they left a 99-year grant of rights at the time that cost them $60 million that would have been $100 million. And in this case, where this really helps the Big 12 here is the Pac-12's grant of rights is coming up at the same time as this TV contract. So essentially, you could be adding these schools and not have to worry about these these buyouts or or anything like that. Uh, th- that that to me is what's so different compared to some of these moves prior. Is that if you are going to the Big Twelve uh, and the Big Twelve having time on their side here, is that they aren't going to have to pay this large sum of money, some exit fee that we traditionally see in these circumstances. Yeah, not not quite as much holding you back. Uh, not not quite as many obstacles, and that I think is the name of the game right now for the big 12 it's like eliminating as many obstacles as you possibly can there because it, all told and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of twitter back and forth and all this but i think it is pretty clear and one one thing i'll give the pac-12 reporters that are making this point like i do firmly believe like all these pac-12 schools they they would prefer to stay in the pac-12 they would prefer for that to work out uh, another analogy i'll use is like nobody likes moving I mean, they've got a perfectly fine house right now. Nobody enjoys the process of moving. It's a pain in the ass. And if, if they're going to have to do that and change conferences and change where their uh, Olympic sports are going and all that sort of thing, like that will not be fun for anybody to deal with. And they also have this whole academic prestige going on. Like Colorado certainly fancies itself among this, like the Berkeleys and Palo Altos of the world. Like that's the company that they want to keep. So they don't want to do this. It just may get to a point where like financially – that's going to be the only way uh, for them long-term to actually do it. So you're trying to remove as many obstacles as you can. And that is one thing that is helping as far as that goes. And the other thing I would say about grant of rights is just, that is to me, one of the more intriguing parts of the PAC 12 situation here is how long would you make the next grant of rights? Will there be certain outs that are going to be there for Oregon and Washington to leave for the big 10, if they were to come calling, because that's, the Pac-12 will go as far as Oregon and Washington go, and it does seem like they're destined at some point to wind up in the Big Ten, whether that's a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. So will they cater to them in this deal? If not, is it really going to be Oregon and, and Washington sign their grant of rights away for five to seven years, which is what like John Wilner has floated out there as a potential grant of rights situation here? Well, that's an awful long time and a lot of money, like you're talking about, that would probably be on the line if you were then going to leave for the Big Ten. So I would expect the Pac-12 is probably going to have to make some concessions there. Uh, I would expect it to be on the shorter end. I was thinking maybe even like a three or four year grant of rights, but maybe they do push it out more toward like the five to seven. But that's another thing to watch for because the grant of rights, that basically equals stability. I mean, the ACC is in the position that they're in because five, six, seven years ago, I mean, they signed this monster TV deal that goes through the mid 2030s where their grant of rights is given up until then. And what that basically means is that if you're playing your home football games if you were to leave for a different conference, the money would still go to your previous conference. Those are the rights 
that you are granting there. And so it's a it's a huge deal. It's really unavoidable if you're leaving. And that's why the ACC is stuck right now, because they signed a monstrously long grant of rights deal, which was more in vogue at the time when they did it and felt like it was stable then. But now, while it is providing stability, it's also just providing a lot of consternation and people being upset and wanting to be out and feeling trapped. Yeah, well, and uh, OU and Texas actually may have created the blueprints of sorts of going from what they were going to have to pay to what they ended up paying to get out of that long grant of rights deal. That might be what the ACC schools end up trying to follow up, try to do something similar, something to watch for as far as that goes. Last thing on the uh, the, the realignment front, then we'll move on talk uh, what's going on in the football field here. If you were to predict right now, I know this is a loaded question, but but John, if if you were to predict right now, what is the end game? What does the Big 12 look like when this is all said and done here, if you were to guess right now? Man, it, it is such a tough question to answer. And for, for so long, up until maybe a month ago, two months ago, um, we'll, we'll say five to six weeks ago. Before that, I, I was saying like 30, 70 that the Big 12 would actually add any of the four-corner schools. I felt like it was probably 30% shot that they would grab a Colorado or Arizona, which are the, those are the two loose ones you're trying to pry away. I think Colorado is the most likely to leave, followed by Arizona. Utah and Arizona State have been much more hesitant. Um, and then we started to see a bunch of smoke for Colorado there for a couple-week period, and it felt like they got pretty close to actually making a move happen. They had some board meetings scheduled and then canceled. I think there was some stuff going on behind the scenes there, they did get close, but decided ultimately to wait and see what the Pac-12 deal was was going to be. And so at that point, I moved it up maybe more to like 50-50 now that we've had some space. I mean, I'm kind of back to like 40-60 that the Big 12 actually lands some four-corner schools here. So I, I guess because of that, just a slight lean here towards George Clay of Cobb figures something out creative enough with their TV deal to make it work. I, one thing that's being talked about a lot that I did forget to mention earlier is that it could be a TV deal that's contingent on the number of subscribers or views or downloads that you get. So there would be more money that you can make. So they might market it as, Hey, they could make up to 35 million per team per year, but that's only if you hit certain benchmarks of views and subscribers, which would be very difficult, but there's a lot of creativity. That's a word that you're hearing a lot creative used in what the PAC 12 deal could look like. So all I'll just hedge slightly and go back to like, I feel like it still seems like it will take a lot to make a Colorado or Arizona make that sort of monumental jump for their school. And I will say slight lean toward the big 12 does not get any of them. And I think in that case, you're going to see the big 12 ad UConn and Oregon Zaga and start there with basketball and maybe others. Because one thing I do firmly believe like your Brett, your mark has been fantastic at maximizing value out of this conference uh, handling the marketing and messaging, but squeezing every ounce of value that he possibly can all the way down to, you know, you have media members upset at the big 12 tournament by sending them up top and selling like a million dollars worth of premium seating down low. Like he's all about finding every way to add value. What the big 12 has right now, that's a monster strength is basketball. And I think he does believe that I firmly believe one thing he's working on long-term is to get basketball juiced up enough that he can take those rights. Next time they come up, sell the basketball deal separately from the football deal and potentially make, you know, throw out whatever number you want, but I think the Big 12 would hope that would create an extra $5 million plus per year per school in the league if they could separate the two deals, which would be, you know, fairly unprecedented. But I think that's the type of thing that he's working toward. So I would say you don't quite get the four-corner schools, and then you move toward working on the basketball thing. And, you know, that's a polarizing uh, sort of thought. People will agree or disagree, but I think it's a way that you can play this game not by the same rules that the SEC and Big Ten are playing by, because if you try to do that, 
and just say, hey, basketball doesn't really matter. We can't do that. We can't be innovative. We've got to just do the same traditional thing. You're going to lose. I mean, they have too far of a head start. You're going to lose. You have to do it creative and do it different ways. And I think that's the sort of thing that your mark would start moving toward. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Big Monday has become must-see TV every single week, uh, no matter who's playing. And, you know, if they could maybe even build in a pro rata for basketball of some sorts with with a UConn or Gonzaga, something to think about. We'll see ultimately how that works out. Let's move on uh, towards the football field. Uh, Big 12 media days coming up here in a couple of weeks. We've already seen the the preseason polls and awards and all that. And, and John, I, I, as I look across the Big 12, I, I hate to admit this, but it, it looks like far and away, Texas is the most talented team entering 2023. But I, I see the thing holding them back is Sark. I, I don't know if Sark's that guy to get the job done or not. To me, that kind of almost evens up the playing field because I know that Chris Kleiman's a great coach. I know that Lance Leipold and Dave Aranda, those guys do a great job. I don't know if I if I would sit here and trust Sark to be the guy that could put it all together with this Texas team with all the talent they got. Yeah, and excuse me, not only that, he's just working against the whole Texas culture that's been a thing right. now for 14 years where they've just massively underachieved year after year. I mean, I'm right there with you. Like, if you, the Big 12 feels very wide open, and if you go down the rosters, Texas easily has the most talent. But how many years could you have said that over the last 14 with them not actually winning the league? You know, they haven't won it since since 2009 and Colt McCoy and company. So um, it's just a very difficult thing for me to grasp that they will actually take the bull by the horns this year. And I agree on Sark. Like, he's been at storied programs with a lot of resources, a lot of tradition, USC, Washington, now Texas – He's just never broken through at that top level. I'm not saying all of his coaching career has been bad, um, but I think he's just a phenomenal offensive coordinator. I mean, I'll give him that. I think he's a terrific offensive mind. I don't know that he's the guy that can come in and be Mac Brown, who seemed to be the one guy who could figure out how to deal with all the cooks in the kitchen at Texas and donors and people that you have to keep happy in this problem. Austin, I think, honestly, is another thing that works against them because it's become such a huge city. There are so many distractions in Austin, so much stuff to do. It's way different than when they won the national championship. It is. And even like when Mac, I remember this, like it's doubled in size since Mac Brown took the job when he did. So I think it's become a totally different beast to keep kids like focused on football in Austin than what it used to be. And I think all those things now with NIL too, I mean, you know, we we saw like Bijan rolling around in Lambos and stuff. I mean, they're taking pictures the other day with recruits in these crazy cars. Like there's just a lot when you're talking about what guys could get distracted by at Texas. And so I have a hard time believing that in their last year in the Big 12, where they're now looking forward to the SEC, you know, people talk about like look-ahead games. How about look-ahead seasons? This is a look-ahead season for Texas, where they're looking at the SEC coming up next. This is their last year in the Big 12. They're going to have to go play teams like Houston. I just can't see them staying focused enough to actually win the league. But then beyond that, they start to open it up. And like Oklahoma, obviously there is talent there, but I just, uh, Brent Venables, I still have plenty of doubts about. I think Dylan Gabriel is a nice quarterback. I wonder what the ceiling is really for him. Uh, K-State, you're defending champs. I think that there's a lot back. There's a lot to like, including Will Howard, the entire offensive line, keeping Colin Klein, who could have taken the Notre Dame offensive coordinator job this offseason. Um, there's a lot to like there about K-State, but there are also enough holes losing huge stars like Felix DK Uzama, and Deuce Vaughn. And I think a fairly tricky, tough schedule uh, for K-State, too, that that could potentially work against them. I'm not sure that I feel great about saying that they would repeat as champs. Then you're talking about things getting real wide open. Texas Tech's a pretty popular dark horse. Right. 
Um, I think Texas Tech fits the profile of what Baylor and K-State were, which were the last two Big 12 champs to make a jump up from a, a mediocre to bad year the year before and, and rise up and win the thing. If they can get quarterback play to stay healthy, I think that's really the question at Tech. Um, Joey McGuire is doing a lot of good things there. You know, Baylor and Oklahoma State have been such consistently good programs, but it's hard to know. Oklahoma State just had a tumultuous year in the portal with guys leaving, guys coming in. It's really hard to know what exactly they have. Um, Baylor was really disappointing last year, but I think Aranda is a great coach. They're just, as I go down the list, there are just so many flaws with you know, Kansas. I think we'll have a phenomenal offense, but do they have a good enough defense? And their schedule is much more difficult this year. So I just can kind of make a case like for or against almost anybody. With all of that, I don't know. I actually. I took a cop out. I did not vote in that uh, Big 12 preseason poll, so I can't give you like what what my official on the record prediction was. But I will say I don't believe in Texas to get it done. I really don't. I just think it'll be the same. Texas will find a way to stub their toe and lose two games that they shouldn't, and that's going to doom them once again. I mean, they very well could, John, beat Alabama week two. I think Bama's going to be down. Uh, and I, I know I say that and just watch them win the national championship now. Um I think they could win that game and then find a way to, to slip up against a Baylor or, or somebody of that effect. I mean, we, we've seen this thing go on before of them step up in big games, but uh, go by the wayside against opponents they're supposed to beat. Well, we basically saw it last year. I mean, they, yeah. they were that close to beating Alabama last year when nobody really gave them a, a chance. And they did it with Quinn Ewers uh, getting hurt in that game, too. So, like. They were basically right there, and then they they lose the TCU game, which they they definitely should not have lost. They lost a game in Stillwater to Oklahoma State, where Quinn Ewers was like nineteen of forty nine throwing the ball and get back to Sark. That was one where he just wouldn't give the ball to Bijan and kept trying to throw it into this crazy wind. And Quinn Ewers was having a bad day, and they just mismanaged it and lost the game, and that lost them their shot at a Big Twelve championship uh, appearance, even though they beat K State. So I I just feel like we're we're probably headed down that sort of path again. But you bring up another good point too, if we're talking about some of the hype Texas is getting is like a legit college football playoff contender. We do need to remember like, yeah, they got to go to Brian Denny, you know, and I know you say right. Alabama may take some time to get back rolling this year, but that's still, that is not going to be an easy trip at all for Texas there at the beginning of the year. So yeah, I just, I don't see it. I don't quite see yeah. it with Texas. They probably will jump up and win a game or two where you're like, okay, wow. And then lose a game or two where you're like, wow, that's, that's sort of their MO. Uh, the new members, those four schools coming in. I like the additions. I know you do too, but we've seen history tells us it is not easy when you make that step up from the group of five to the power five, all four of these schools, what are they in for as they enter the league? Is it, is it going to be a struggle for all four? You think? I think the timing is not working out very well for three of the four. Um, the, the team that I believe in most is UCF. Uh, I think because one, They've had success at a pretty high level here recently. Uh, you think back to the Scott Frost unbeaten season, but even beyond that, they've just been a really consistent program and winning a lot in the AAC. I like the fact that they have Gus Malzahn as a head coach who's been there and done it in the at the SEC level and basically at the highest level in college football. Like I think he's a honestly an underrated coach and just mm -hmm. you know he was at a place where the the environment is wild in Auburn, Alabama, as we've seen with a bunch of coaches now. So I think UCF kind of has a steal there with what they have at uh, at their head coach. And then they have, a, they have a good quarterback returning in John Rice Plumley, another guy who's going to have to stay healthy and has had some injury issues. But if he can stay healthy, I really like the quarterback-coach combo that they have there, plus getting a taste of some big-time football here recently. And UCF, if you pay attention to recruiting too, I mean, they've been doing a great job on the recruiting trail. Like yeah. over the last few years, they've been pulling kids legitimately from Florida and Florida State and Miami. 
Um, so I, I'm pretty, pretty bullish on UCF. The others, it's like Cincinnati. I mean, I respect the hell out of what they did in getting to the college football playoff. Unfortunately, Luke Fickle leaves right as you're heading into the Big 12. That's a pretty tough blow, and I, I really was not a fan of the hire that they made and, and oh, Scott amazing. Satterfield. Yeah. So I I just think they're going to be going through a weird trend. This is not a great time to be making the transition that they're making right now and then jumping up to, to the Big 12 in the league. Um, BYU, again, they've done some really nice things in the last five years or so, but they were definitely down last year, and I'm not sure that they have the reinforcements coming in quite yet to get their program up and running. <laughs> I think longer term, they will be just fine. Uh, because they've got a pretty big national brand with the LDS church and all of that. Um, and then Houston, you know, last year was supposed to be another big year. After two years ago, they had that great season. They were a little disappointing last year. I've seen Dana Holgerson in the Big 12. Yeah, it's okay. It's right. okay. Um, but Houston, he even made the point this offseason. This set off some alarm bells to me. He went on a spiel at a press conference basically saying like, hey, our donors, like we we need to step up. Like we all need to be really committed to this because I've seen what it's like in the Big 12. And like we're not there from like a facility standpoint, an infrastructure standpoint. So that told me like Dana is even kind of laying some of the groundwork for, hey, this is going to take a little bit of time. So I think UCF is the one that if you want to you, you think might hit the over this year in terms of their win total and you think might be able to make a little bit of noise in the Big 12 this year. I think it's going to be them with with the others taking a little bit of time to get up and running. Last thing, uh, we'll end on this. Uh, hot seat warm for several coaches, I think, in the league this year. Dana Holgerson, you mentioned. Obviously, Neil Brown there at West Virginia. Heck, even Mike Gundy feels like uh, I think he's got a lot to prove this upcoming year. Uh, what do you make of, of some of these coaches with uh, with a lot to prove here? Who's going to be on their way out, and who do you think has got a chance to bounce back and really save their job? Well, and even another one I would submit to you that, I mean, if Brent Venables goes six and seven again, yeah. uh, headed to the SEC, I don't, I bet he would lose his job. I think if he goes through and does what he did last year again, that might be the impetus for Oklahoma to say, like, okay, we cannot be going to the SEC with this. Now, I think they'll be better than that. I think they will be improved. Um, but that's another one to keep in mind if we're talking about like real hot seats here. At Neil Brown, I don't really see any way that that works at West Virginia. I, you know, I thought, and it, as a K-State fan, it takes me back, like that hiring cycle when K-State hired Kleiman, Neil Brown was the other real finalist. It was like Mike Norvell, Neil Brown, and Chris Kleiman. And K-State obviously made the right choice, certainly, for their fit, although Norvell is is doing good things at Florida State right now. But Neil Brown, I thought, man, I mean, I, I definitely was behind it. I would have been really behind the hire. And I thought at West Virginia, that was a great hire. And he's recruited pretty well at times, but it just does not come together on the field. They took some rough losses in the transfer portal. They haven't been able to figure out quarterback. Um, I think the only reason he's back is because his buyout was so big on that contract last year and they couldn't stomach getting out of it. So it just feels like a and delaying the inevitable sort of situation to save some money at West Virginia. I don't I feel like they probably will finish last uh in the Big 12 this year. So I would anticipate that he is going to be gone. Holgerson, Holgerson could be because I think the possibility is out there for Houston to go three and nine. And, you know, if it falls off like that, I think that might be enough for Houston to say, all right, we're, we're making all these commitments to try and get right in this league. And we can't, we can't stomach you doing that and taking this big of a tumble in two years from where you were at a couple of years ago. So yeah, those are some names that come to mind. Gundy's a really interesting one because I, I don't know, like that to me, again, as a guy who covered K-State in 2018 at the end of Bill Snyder's regime, it was like, everybody kind of knew what needed to happen. You knew that it needed to be new blood, uh, a new coach in there. But this is a legendary figure, and it's a very 
very stressful situation. It's a tricky situation. You need to handle it the right way. And that's not always easy. Um, you know, Gundy is not, not Gundy's not there. And his program, I think, is better than what K-State's was in 2018. Don't get me wrong. But there are some parallels there. If he's going to go through another, like, 500-ish year after all the stuff in the portal, the drama with Spencer Sanders back and forth, you know, they lost it. He, he goes to Ole Miss where he's going to have to even compete for a starting job. That's how bad he wanted out of Mike Gundy's uh, program at Oklahoma State. Like, I just think there's there's been enough going on that's been drama surrounding that program that, Maybe it does get to a point if they have another year where they struggle that Oklahoma State starts to think we may need to go a different direction. I just don't know how exactly they would they would really handle that. So, yeah, I think there are there are some very intriguing uh, coaching situations across the league this year. Yeah. And those aren't easy situations to deal with. You mentioned uh, K-State. You know, we know about Bill trying to get Sean that job and you know, TCU most recently with Gary Patterson getting, you know, let go midseason and all and then ended up at Texas. So, yeah, those, those situations aren't uh, always pretty to deal with. Uh, we'll see what happens there in Stillwater. Uh, John, before we go, where can people find you? Check out uh, the work you're doing uh, as well as the YouTube channel and all that. Where can people follow along, man? Yeah, so Big 12 fans, you definitely want to hop in on the YouTube channel. It's just my name, John Kurtz, J-O-H-N-K-U-R-T-Z. I do two live shows a week, typically on, on Wednesdays and Sundays. can change a little bit, and then I'll sprinkle in uh, some pre-taped content there too. But we've got – over 16,000 Big 12 fans that are subscribers and a part of that community. So they're, they're always lively live chats. That's that's definitely a place that you're going to want to be. Um, if you're a K-State fan, I've got the Three Mob podcast on KC Sports Network with Derek Young and Cole Manbeck. Um, best insider info that you're going to find out there on K-State. Um, you can find that wherever it is that you get your podcast. It's like EMA with a three, Three Ma, uh, to find that podcast. And then uh, if you just want up-to-the-minute updates on what I'm thinking on, on Big 12 football, K-State football, basketball, et cetera, just on Twitter at JL Kurtz. Yeah, I appreciate the time as always. Uh, thanks again. Uh, great job covering the league. It's always been awesome seeing what you're doing uh, with the, the channel and, and everything, man. We'll continue to follow along and uh, talk you down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, sounds great. Anytime, my friend. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. And you can check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, welcome back. Glad to have you uh, after the uh, week off last week. And uh, hope you're uh, doing well, my friend. How are things? Doing well. Thanks. Yeah, I had a week off. And a week off from the pod. Yeah, still works. But uh Man, just getting after it. We're getting back in the office. Took a couple of days off around the fourth, so that's been uh, it's been kind of crazy. But uh, hey, I got to talk about something real quick. If this is related, to, I've been getting a lot of phone calls about this, so I want to bring this up to your people. Okay, it is popular right now on TikTok and Instagram. There is a lot of stuff about IULs, indexed universal life plans, and. A lot of people have been saying that everyone should buy these, and I'm not saying they're a bad idea, but what I'm saying is that if someone's thinking about purchasing one of those, definitely talk to your representative, to your advisor, and make sure that they're designing the program correctly, and they're not trying to, you need to overfund it. You need to put a lot of money in these things. I have seen some of those go south. And they go south at a bad, bad time in your life when you're much older and can't do much about it. So please, folks, if you're thinking about an indexed universal life plan and you just saw the thing on TikTok or there's a lot of it on TikTok or you're seeing it on IG, if you have questions, go to OAGKS.com. 
hit the, the contact us and I will personally call you and walk you through it. Even if you don't do it with us, if you want to do it with your current person, I will at least give you some questions to ask to make sure that what you're doing is the right thing for you. We want to be your partner. Check it out. OHEcast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for more information. Bo, in my world, it's been pretty hectic. Uh, yeah. What's gone on at ESPN uh, in a shifting time in the industry right now with uh, with so much cord cutting going on that's resulted in a lot of changes, not just at ESPN. I know they're the ones getting the most attention, but all of sports media right now is just going through changes and cuts and and everything, and ESPN last week laying off a lot of talent, and notable talent at that, from Jeff Van Gundy to Jalen Rose, Susie yeah. Culber, Matt Asselback, uh, you know, Steve Young, Ashley Brewer, just, just to name a few. I mean, some really yeah. talented people are, are on the way out there. And, you know, I'll say this. We knew the cuts were coming. We knew that they had to yeah. slash their budget and all that. But, Bo, I, I was shocked to see just some of the names. Like, like Jeff Van Gundy's as good of an analyst as anybody in sports, let alone the NBA. Yeah. And even he didn't get his job saved. I mean, so, sometimes it doesn't matter sometimes. I think this is kind of a good life lesson, really. doesn't matter sometimes how hard you work, how talented you are. We're all replaceable. Absolutely. And if you look, um, you know, we all knew that a lot of cuts were, a lot of cuts were coming. It was Disney told ESPN, hey, we're having problems. It's time to start slashing budgets. They didn't hit, uh, they didn't go after Monday Night Football at all. They didn't go after Aikman and Buck, which we kind of figured that was going to happen. Um, but the biggest surprise for me was Van Gundy. Um, they did attack ESPN radio pretty aggressively. Uh, you know, they cut the whole morning show off. I don't know what they're doing to replace them, but um, I mean, that's like Keyshawn Johnson and that crew are all gone. Um, it, to me, it's interesting because you're, you know, like I think the Van Gundy thing, I think you're spot on. I think both the Van Gundys are incredible analysts. And I think they're both really great. My son and I were just talking about this a couple nights ago. And I was shocked they let Jeff Van Gundy go. It's also, it's not shocking this has happened, but it's too bad at the same time that ESPN's having to make all these cuts and then they had to cut even deeper than I think they wanted to because of now bringing on Pat McAfee and the cost associated with that. But it sounds like he's going to fill a lot of space for what he's getting paid and what he's going to be doing. So it's interesting to see how ESPN is spending their money on analysts, on their people in front of the camera. I think yeah. a lot of it also is that there may also be a, I don't know what the backlash is the right word, but a sudden just not so much interest in the argument uh, stuff. You know, the, the, the morning stuff we see on ESPN, you know, ESPN a number of years ago went from just replaying SportsCenter all morning to get up and all these other things. And it was all about, you know, um, embrace debate. It's supposed to be like you're arguing at a bar, but so much of it's filler, and so much of it is. Um, I was listening to Bomani Jones's podcast last week, and they were talking about how um, it was uh, him and Dominique Foxworth talking about how Dominique Foxworth says, "I get there, and I don't know what the hell we're going to argue sometimes." 
He says, we'll be right up till, you know, right up to time. And we're going, okay, how am I going to argue this? I don't even really believe this. And it kind of pulled the curtain out of saying, this is just kind of bullshit. And I think ESPN is starting to see that a little bit now. And so I think they're just cutting, slashing parts now to say, okay, well, let's get into lower priced, you know, um, to the guys who can bring and fill us with news or analysis instead. Um, you know, I saw that um, um, not Mel Kuyper, the other Todd McShay. But Todd McShay got cut as well. That one was kind of surprising. He's someone who fills a lot of time. I know he'd had some away from ESPN issues. So, you know, that might be part of it. But yeah, I would David Pollock just, out too, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I. I will say, of all the people they cut, there was one person they grossly left out. And this guy is an automatic change the channel when he's on my television. And that is Mike Greenberg. I know he's like a sacred cow at ESPN now, but he's an automatic change the channel when I see Mike Greenberg. Now, I'll say this. I'm not a fan of Greeny either, but to his defense or credit, if you want to call it that, and again, let me preface this by saying I'm not a Greeny fan. It seems like, Bo, that the way the industry is going and with what ESPN is doing, they're saying, look, we need people here that can't just be part-time employees. they got to be yeah. able to do multiple things, and they got to be able to create revenue streams for us. Like sports center anchors, you know, they can – if you're just a sports center anchor and you're not an SVP – you're not yeah. really that valuable. If, you know, you're, I think, you know, a talk show host of some sorts, a Greenie or a Stephen A or a Pat McAfee yeah. that can do all these different things, like, oh, we can throw McAfee on game day. We can throw Stephen oh. A and Greenie on NBA Countdown in addition. Be, be yes. versatile. You know, it's. Well, that's what, that's what saves, like in Greenberg's case, that's what saves his job. Right. Like and, he, and that's what, the, that's what they're going to need is those guys that can do multiple things that can. Yeah generate that revenue for them yeah. and not just all these part-time yeah. freelance employees basically yeah and i agree with that 100 percent. it is definitely the the idea that you show up to bristol for a day or two and you go home for, for a week that ain't gonna fly anymore that's just they're not gonna do that anymore and it's because they can get a couple of ex-players to be an analyst you can do things where you've got them at home or you got them here or that that was one of the nice things about some of the guys is that you had guys who were hosting shows on ESPN radio, but then doing analysis on ESPN. So but we're going to see more of that. And I also think we're going to see less of the debate stuff as we get into like in the football season. And we're going to see more of the numbers kind of stuff come along. I think we'll start seeing some gambling stuff trickle in there a little bit as they get sponsors. You know, Caesars is a big sponsor with ESPN. Don't be surprised if you see some of that in there, too. And, and to see a little more of that other than just their one show they have on ESPN News right now. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I think you'll see a lot more of that as well. Yeah, I think so. It's a uh, it's a fascinating time. I feel for everybody that, that lost their jobs. It's terribly sad. Yeah. Um, you know, 20-plus people. And, and, and that was the other thing, too, that – it didn't matter how talented you were, good of a person. I mean, yeah. you still lost jobs. Susie Culver has been 
uh, a trailblazer in the industry. You know, yeah. we mentioned Van Gundy, some of these others, and yeah. hopefully they land on their feet. We'll see they, where they go. Galen Rose has been someone who has done numerous things in the building for them. Yeah. And, you know, that's one that he's going to land on his feet somewhere. Someone's going to take Galen Rose in a heartbeat. I mean, I'm not a fan of Max Kellerman, but he's versatile. You know, I mean, he. It, and you're right. And I'm not a big fan of his either, but he's, there's no better boxing analyst. And, you know, at the big time level. And there, he does know his stuff, football and basketball. He, yeah, I, I'm not as big a fan of him as most people either, but I do think that he's also going to land on his feet somewhere as well. I think it's right. going to be interesting to see where a lot of people land, where they end up, they stay in the business. Yeah. Because there's getting to be less and less places to go. You know, will Amazon, and will Apple start putting out some kind of daily sports pieces? Well, Amazon does uh, do sports stuff now. They they have several different daily shows. Okay. So. I mean, I've seen the stuff on DraftKings. I've seen the stuff on FanDuel. You know, and and, and I like a lot of the, the content I see on both those places. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys cash big checks at those places. Yeah, yeah, we'll see uh, as far as that goes. Uh, let's go over some of these free agents that are still available at this point in time. Um, Dalvin Cook, uh, odds are, according to your friends at DraftKings, who give you all that, the so much money these days. You know, uh, <laughs> they have uh, Dalvin as uh, co-favorites to land with either New England or Miami. And then meanwhile, DeAndre Hopkins, they have favored to go to New England. Now, it, I think no one would be happier than Mac Jones if you were able to get both guys and and make that work. And, and I can see why New England is is the favorite for both those guys. But um, sure, they made some moves last week to you know, give some extensions to to Bentley and Parker to free up some cap space. But uh, I, I still think we're a ways away from New England bringing both those guys. I think D Hop's coming, but I don't know about Dalvin Cook. And history tells us Bill Belichick's not a big spender in free agency either. He, they never have been. You know, we talked about, we kind of dismissed it two weeks ago. You and I talked about the same thing, and I dismissed it. And now the longer I keep hearing it, the longer I keep thinking, maybe it will happen. Maybe they will bring in both these guys. I I do think they end up with Hopkins. And I, I think they, end up, I mean, they do get them both. Now, I, I've changed my tune on this one. Now, two weeks ago, I thought there was no chance they both end up there. Today, I think they do both end up there. I think on different kind of contracts. I think that D-Hop's going to have some more options, and it may be a deeper contract, but I think that Dalvin Cook's going to go in there on a one-year improvement kind of deal and goes in there. If he has a good season, that's something that the Patriots have never done. They never had a one, a bell cow, a guy who just you can give the ball to every time. They've had, you know, the committee thing. They've kind of perfected the committee thing. And Ramondre Stevenson, who's there now, is a very good back. He's very good. And so I think if you have him and Dalvin Cook, you got two different, little different styles in both. And what I would be a really solid run game. They got a pretty decent offensive line for the run game, too. So, you know, they're going to want to play ball a little different than the top teams in the AFC. They're going to play a ground, a grinded out game of run the ball, play offense, you know, run the clock down, that kind of thing, shorten games. 
The kind of what we saw from the Titans the last few years. That's now, why I kind of think Dalvin Cook might happen. Think about this, too. Let's say D hops there. You already have Juju. Juju had a nice season last year in Kansas City. Yeah. Granted, a lot of guys are going to look nice playing with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, but Devontae Parker's not a bad receiver. I don't think Kendrick Bourne's bad either. Um, tight end rooms, solid with Hunter Henry and Mike uh, Jasicki, who they brought over for the Miami Dolphins. All of a sudden, they bring these two guys in. No no cap here. New England might have a top five offense if, if yeah. Mac Jones can put it together. Yeah, I don't know they'll have a um I don't know that they'll have a top five. I don't know they'll be high scoring. They'll be efficient as hell. I mean, they'll be efficient as hell. And it's I think gonna Bill be Ryan just being the play caller now instead of uh pencil head Patricia is, is yeah. a huge deal. Yeah, I, I think it I don't think you'll see a lot of drastic high scores. You won't see them scoring 30 a game. But they'll they'll win games scoring 21 or 24. That a lot of teams wouldn't, uh, because they're going to play. They're gonna, again. They're going to shorten the game. I really, if they pull those two players off, I think that's a very Belichickian way of going against the grain and giving himself a chance, knowing that he got Mac Jones back there. He doesn't have Mahomes or Burrow or Allen. You know, he knows that. So I think this is why you do it. You go get that number one guy. DeAndre Hopkins is the number one guy in almost every team in the league. And then if you can get the other back and have a solid, solid run game. Yeah. And and that division, we've seen what the Jets have done. Dolphins got better too. Bills are still a juggernaut. That division looks like an arms race right now. And you're going to have to really and truly, you're going to have to play a little bit different. I mean, that's the thing. It's you just got to bring a different style that no one's prepared for, right? And that's what they've done because they realize that their guy calling the calling the things calling the game under the center is not as talented as the rest of the division, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't. Now, I'm not saying I think he's bad. I think he's very middle of the road, but. He's not the guy who single-handedly – he's not going to do for the Patriots what Aaron Rodgers does for the Jets. Right. All of a sudden, we're contenders now. I mean, that's where you're at. And, and Mac Jones can't do that. But Mac Jones doesn't, doesn't make mistakes. Hit you with – you give him DeAndre Hopkins and occasionally can draw something up, that run game, you ain't got to score a lot of points. It'll be interesting. Yeah. We saw when he was at Alabama when – he had the weapons. He yeah. did everything he needed to and more, you know. If, he, if he's got the players around him, I think he'll be I think he'll be he he would almost qualify as our rule of you gotta be this guy or better. You know, we've I think he very that. well could end up he being in, be, the, in the current Dak tier. We said that's we said that's Dak Prescott right now. It could very well be Mac Jones midway through the season. We could be saying, hey. That Mac Jones, Dak Prescott kind of player in the middle of the road, that's the litmus test. Are you here or better? You got a chance. If you're under this, you got no chance. In third year, too, that could be perfect yeah. timing for him on that contract extension. So. Could be. Could be. Um, your favorite owner, Jerry Jones, is getting a <laughs> 10-part docu-series with Netflix. And Netflix is paying $50 million <laughs> to do this. 
uh, to do this thing on Jerry Jones uh, and his time with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I'll say this. I, I think Jerry is fascinating. Um, he's had a very interesting tenure, and I think at the end of the day, he has been good for the NFL, especially on the business side. I don't know about I don't think anybody's got time to watch a 10 part series on Jerry Jones here. Yeah, okay. So I find Jerry Jones interesting as well. I'm not a Cowboys fan. Right. I'm a I'm a fan of what he's done business-wise. The league absolutely would not be where it is without what Jerry Jones has done as the owner of the Cowboys. He challenged conventional wisdom many times. He won damn near every time. And because of that, they've grown as a juggernaut, as a franchise into a multi-billion dollar or their most valuable franchise in all the the whole league. And he's built the he's helped build the league and take it from where it was family-owned uh, teams to now these you know groups that own these teams that are worth billions and billions. And Jerry Jones. Whether you like it or not, and again, I'm not a Cowboys fan. He is a large reason why this has gone the way it's gone in business. Now, I totally agree with you in that I don't think that he's interesting enough to watch a 10-part series. Look, two hours, maybe two, you know, three one-hour ones. I could watch that on Jerry Jones. Tell me about how he came up from Arkansas, how he took his daddy's money, how he bought the Cowboys. You ended ended him buying the Cowboys, the first episode. Then the Cowboys winning the Super Bowls. And then what he's done business-wise since. There's your three series. You know, we we so badly want to, and and Netflix is paying a lot of money for this. Uh, I'm glad I sold my Netflix stock. Um, I just don't see why you waste $50 on this. Uh, It can't give you that big a return, I wouldn't think. But they got to have something in there. I, this is not the last dance. This is not Jordan. You know, this is not something even close to is this worthy. I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be more interesting to keep going with the uh, – what's the HBO show about the Lakers? Uh, Showtime. Showtime, yeah. So I know they're going to do a season two. I think it'd be more interesting to see that than it is to watch a 10-parter on Jerry Jones. I just don't find him that fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Um, Jerry, maybe uh, if we're going to dive into his uh, his love child there in Dallas and find out some more information, but if he's selling the rights to it, there's no way they're going to be talking about uh, his love child and all that, you know? So Yeah, he's not – that's the other thing. To if it. he's going to be honest, if he's going to be – he's got to talk about the losses as well as the, the, the Ws. He's got to talk about how he made a mistake with Jimmy Johnson at the end of Jimmy Johnson's tenure. He's got to talk about what's happened off the field with this, you know, the, the, the son or daughter. There's a daughter? Daughter, yeah. Yeah, that he had out of wedlock. Um He's got to be honest and own some things as well. If he'll do that, I'll watch it. I'm probably going to watch some of it anyway and see how see if it holds it. But I, the interesting part to me will be to see what he says about Jimmy Johnson. Right. That'll be the part that I want to see. Don't whitewash that. I beg of Jerry Jones. Tell 
the truth. Say, I messed this thing up. I thought I was bigger than who I am. And I was wrong. I should have kept Jimmy Johnson. The other uh, of recent stuff and, and on the field things, too, that I want to know from Jerry, that whole Tony Romo-Dak deal. Uh, yeah. So good big speculation, the the secret that was kind of going around, in at least in sports media circles, was that um, Jerry loved Tony so much, and, and everybody knew that he loved Tony Romo. There was no bigger fan of Tony Romo than Jerry Jones. Sure. That he, But he didn't want to lose Dak either. He knew it was Dak's time, but he didn't want to see Tony play for somebody else. And that part of the money that Tony got from CBS was actually paid for by Jerry Jones to keep him off the football field playing for somebody else in particular from going to the, the Philadelphia Eagles there. No, I hadn't heard that. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but at the same time, who knows? I, I don't know if I believe that, but uh, I mean, you would know better than I would on that one. Yeah. You'd be better informed than I would be. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, we were telling you a couple weeks ago, weird situation with Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Um, when it came to mandatory minicamp, he showed up one morning and then he was gone and Sean McDermott was pretty worried about it. He's like, I don't know where he is. And Sean McDermott made a, a made a big deal of it. And Josh Allen said like, Hey, he told us he was leaving. Sounded like miscommunication. Then there was trade rumors that came of it. Um, but everything's kind of settled down since. Josh Allen has come out and said the media blew it out of proportion, says it was, uh, you know, the the media and all this. I love him. That's my guy and all that. Um, when in doubt, blame the media, right? You know, everything's all the media's fault. Uh, you know, fake news, right? You know, yeah. uh, with that said, was it blown out of proportion? Sure. But, Bo, this was the Bills' own doing. Stephon Diggs not communicating. His head coach was the one who got in front of the microphone and said what he said. I mean, you can say it was blown out of proportion, sure, but it all started with the Bills and the problems in their own organization, how they handled it. Yeah, I mean, I, we talked about it. I remember saying that I thought it was a non-story then, and I still think it is, but it's one of those things where you look at it now and you just go, well, I mean, um, at this point, just – it does tell you that they need to, as a team, the Bills as an organization, has some things they need to take care of. But, I mean, what do you want them to say? That it's not, that it is a big deal? They're not going to come back and say something like that. I don't personally think it was a big deal. It's like a lot of miscommunication. We thought just about say that. it was miscommunication. Time. Like, hey, just miscommunication. Yeah. Just say that. Yeah. I just, yeah. So I, I find the whole thing is kind of, um, you know, it's like we talked about two weeks ago. It's like, what is the clickbait of the week? You know, it's that was that was my uh, on uh, on my podcast two weeks. ago. That's what we said, and we opened it up with, okay, what's today's clickbait of the day? We'll go with that and talk about that. You know, it's that's where we're at this time of year, unfortunately. And it's like, you know, okay, we'll just see what happens. Uh, to me, it's a non-issue. It's an issue. It's only an issue if there's an issue and the training camp comes around. Yeah. A uh, couple more things here. Uh, some notable free agents uh, with some visits. Uh, Panthers named as the uh, top contender for J- Davion Clowney. 
Steelers apparently interested in former 49ers first round pick uh, linebacker Ruben Foster. Um, and then uh, also uh, we're hearing the Browns are linked to former Steelers and Jags linebacker Miles Jack. Bo, at this late in the juncture, these guys aren't going to get the the money they would have early on, but there's still some talented players that could uh, move the needle for the, some of these potential playoff teams. Yeah, you know what all those guys have in common is they have in common they're they're not players who play every down. Yeah, they're kind of specialized guys, and right now teams don't know what some of their special needs are going to be until they get into camp, and then you'll see some changes and some some things evolve, and you'll see these guys get picked up. All those guys you mentioned, the one thing they also have in common is they are guys who are so highly thought of coming out of college. And they haven't all played poorly. They've just got kind of specialized out of being every down dominant kind of players. You yeah. know, Ruben Foster's a player that plays a position that's just not well used anymore. Jadavion Clowney is the pass rusher now that you don't need on every play. Um, who was the third one you mentioned there? Was Miles Jack. Miles Jack. Again, a guy who he ended up getting moved more to a linebacker kind of position as he got to the NFL from safety in college. And again, it's a position that's just not used as much. He, he's a basically now a, a nickel safety that's being used as a, as a, as a kind of a, a Swiss army knife in those choice third down situations, all three of them, super talented guys, and they'll all make a team better, but they're not going to get paid you know, um, premium money because they're not premium players in how they're used now, their usage, as opposed to their value as, you know, just the level of play. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. One more NFL note, and then I will talk college real quick. Uh, Bo, your, your former team, I, I do have some positive news on your former team, the Saints, Mm-hmm. Uh, really good story about Foster Moreau. Foster Moreau, yeah. Full remission from uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Great mm-hmm. news. Great for him. Good football player and and uh, great story there. Yeah, you know, Foster was also an LSU guy, so we've got to root for, got to root for Foster Moreau. Um, I'm glad to hear he had full remission. You know, he had Hodgkin's, and you just you just root for those guys that make that comeback, and, and hopefully he'll come back and be as strong and as good a player as he has been. He's been a role player the last couple of years with the Raiders, and now he's with the Saints. Uh, I hope the best for him. I hope for the best for all the Saints players, except for Derek Carr. Um, I'll be blunt. I mean, that's the reason I'm not a Saints fan, is that. So having said that, I don't think it's going to be a great success, but I'm really happy for him personally to be getting back on the field, to be back and in, in not have to go through treatment anymore, to be in remission. It's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, college football, a couple of notes. Uh, with uh, San Diego State, and we talked about yeah. this earlier with, uh, with with John Kurtz when he joined us and such. Uh, San Diego State, remember the letter a couple weeks ago to the the Mountain West saying that, hey, we're looking to leave. We want an extension on the ability to leave and pay the $17 million buyout. Now they have a first course and said, we are not leaving the Mountain West. Um this has nothing to do with the Big 12. They're not going to the Big 12. This is all about the Pac-12 here. 
Sounds like George Kliakoff and somebody in the Pac-12 screwed over uh, San Diego State here. And and with that buyout, like, I don't care if they get invited to the Pac-12 tomorrow. They're not joining in 2024. I mean, now with, with what the Pac-12 did to them here and, and the way their buyout sits, the earliest they're going anywhere is 2025 now. Yeah. It looks like the Pac-12 still is the game that can't shoot straight. They just cannot figure out that, you know, where they're going. I don't think it's that they – I don't think they screwed San Diego State more than – I don't think they have a clue as to where they're going or what they're doing moving forward. They don't have any concrete plans. And we're in July now. If they don't have something here in the next two, three weeks, they're really in trouble as a conference altogether. And I, I think San Diego State was just saying, hey, we don't want to be a part of this shit show if they don't have any way of – we don't have any general direction or any guidance from them on where which way they're going on their TV deals. And right. it sounds like they just don't have any guidance whatsoever. Right. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, the one argument that I heard in the Pac-12's favor that was brought up, Bo, was, you know, they owe this money to Comcast uh, that they were overpaid and all the schools, even USC and UCLA, had to pay some of this money back. And maybe by splitting the revenue for an extra year between 10 schools instead of 12 would help provide some relief to their current members. And I understood that argument. I get that. And it's a fair thing if you want to think that. But I think that's given the Pac-12 too much credit because this conference has been a disaster ever since USC and UCLA left and has no direction, and hasn't made a single good decision since, I, I mean, if it happens to work out that way, it's by pure coincidence, not happen, not happenstance. Yeah, that's exactly well put. That is, this is not, their, their plan was not to say, oh, we're going to go down to a certain number of teams so that we can pay back Comcast and this money. No, that, that, if that happens, then that's just blind luck. You know, they said the broken clock is is right one twice today. Um, that's what this is. This has been the most poorly run exercise I've ever seen in sports. I mean, this is so badly done as a conference. I, I don't even think I have anything to compare it to. This is like Major League, like the movie Major League. Uh, I mean, they make the Oakland A's look organized. I mean, it's it's. They make the Kansas City Royals look the New York Yankees. I don't know what they're doing right now, and I don't think they know what they're doing. And I 100% agree with you. I think anybody trying to make that excuse is just trying to flower up and put some window washing on to try to earn a paycheck from somebody somewhere. Yeah, we call that the Pac-12 propaganda machine is what that is, yeah. Uh, yeah. promoting that one. Last thing, uh, let's head back to the SEC. Uh, announced this week, University of Florida – is going to uh, invest $400 million in upgrades to the Swamp and uh, their football facilities there in Florida. Uh, both for the longest time, they didn't have an indoor facility there in Gainesville. Uh, you know, they had a good thing going with Spurrier and Urban Meyer, obviously, but they haven't been the same program since the end of the Urban Meyer uh, era, and they've fallen by the wayside. They've been kind of an afterthought in the SEC Billy Napier had an okay season. Wasn't bad. You know, had the Utah win, but wasn't great either. Um, Florida, they got a tough hill to climb uh, because 
while they've taken all these steps back, everyone else around them has gotten better. And you got Oklahoma and Texas coming in. And, yeah. and I would argue, even with all Texas has gone through and Oklahoma having the down year they had, Oklahoma and Texas, I would still argue, are in better shape than Florida right now. Yeah, Florida, the swamp is a mess. I mean, it looks like a fucking swamp. It, it's it's old. It's never really been updated. The fact that that, that, that that they didn't have an indoor facility for years. Have you been to Gainesville, Florida, or anywhere in North Florida? I have, yeah. Yeah, your balls stick to your legs all day long, no matter what time of the year it is. It's just that damn humid. Let these boys get inside, throw some big-ass fans on them. Don't make them get in the summertime like that. Um, yeah, it's just it's the second circle of hell in that place. They need to put some money into it because not only are they battling in the SEC, but they're also battling in the state of Florida with Florida State and Miami. And UCF now. And now UCF, yeah, now in the Big 12. So it's going to be a different animal. And now that the Big 12, I mean, the the SEC has added, like you said, Oklahoma and Texas. And now Georgia has become the dominant dog in the SEC East. You know, there's got to be something done if if you're the Gators. Yeah. So, and put that money in there. It's been known too uh, that their NIL collective has not gone off to a good start uh, since no. it began the last couple of years. That they've had their issues. I mean, um, that program is there. There's so much potential, Bo. Like that. That's a program that should be a lot better than what they are. But they they they, they can't get their stuff together. Yeah, they're they're Gator fans are not. It's like the Gator fans. I got to hold off like too many bandits. You know, they're not. They're not. They're not the U. They're not Florida State, and they're not Georgia. And that you got to compete against all four of them. And now you bring in UCF. It's like okay. I mean, they. It's it's already hard enough to be in the SEC, and Florida has money. But they don't have money like like Miami and like Florida State does. It, it's going to be interesting. And it, I do want to see – we've heard a couple of things on collectives in the last couple of months about them not having as much money as they thought they did. So I want to see some of these collectives and how much the money is actually there as well too. My, they, you know, we saw what happened – I don't know if you saw what happened to Miami's collective. They're big one. A lot of their money was funny money, and it's gone now. Um. Florida's, they never really put a whole thing together. I mean, it's which is a shame if you're Florida. I mean, that should be, they should really be one of the top two or three teams in the SEC as far as gathering money. Yeah. I mean, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be behind LSU or Tennessee. It should be them in Georgia and, te- and Texas. Yeah. That's it. Well, and, you know, they, they don't have patience there. I mean, Napier, I thought for a first year, it was fine. It, it checked off the box. I didn't think it was bad. Didn't think it was great. It was just fine. Yeah. And now we're already hearing rumblings like, is is Billy Napier, Napier going to get fired midseason? Is he going to make it through the year? Like already doubts. I'm like, what, what what did this guy do already? You know, This guy's a good coach. He's a, he's a damn good coach, too. He, he's going to get screwed there in the end. He will. 
I mean, he's too good. He's almost too good a coach to be at Florida. The, the the rumblings on Dan Mullen started after they went to an SEC championship game. Now it yeah. did fall apart pretty fast, but I mean it's it's a short span to get it right there at that Florida program. They don't have patience, yeah. so they don't, and they need to. I mean, they had to cheat a whole lot. That's what Urban Meyer did. So yes, yeah. Hey, uh, I still want to see. Uh, if you want to put a 10-part uh, piece together, give me a 10-part program on Urban Meyer's Florida teams. Um, Swamp Creatures, the uh, Netflix special, is going to come out here in a couple weeks. Yeah, but it's not going how many, to – how many episodes is that going to be? Just like one episode. Yeah, you know, I want I want that whole team with, like, the Tebow – I want an episode on Tebow. I want an episode on the Pounceys. I want an episode on Percy Harvin. No, yeah, I want an episode of what Cam Newton did, you know, when he was there. There is way that's worth 10 episodes. Um, and I'm still adamant, by the way, that Jim McElwain humped that shark. He maybe did. That was definitely him. He couldn't resist that shark. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, we're out of time. What's coming up on the podcast? Man, we are going to be – it's going to be the um, – we've got a lot to talk about. We didn't have a, a show last week, and uh, we've got everything to talk about from catching up on the College Bowl Series, this weekend's baseball draft, and previewing a little bit of that, um, just all sorts of stuff. It's going to be a uh, a gumbo, if you will, of a lot of different stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be me and Ellen if it's just be me this week, but we are – we got a whole – a long way to go and a short time to get there. I love it. Well, appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Both going to stick around. uh, Our draft segment coming up next as uh, we will draft uh, our favorite celebrity crushes coming up on the other side. Draft season continues here on the Jones Report, and this week we're going to do what what we can to uh, be flirty but not look like creeps either. It's our – celebrity crush draft and this should be interesting because between the three of us we come from three different eras so our childhood crushes might be different there might be some crossover potentially but nonetheless it should make for an interesting draft and uh Derek is back here with us coach Bo is here as well Derek before we officially get this draft started um this is very open-ended. There's a lot of ways this draft could go here. What's kind of your thoughts going in? Um, you know, we're probably going to work our way through, you know, the different stages and levels of life where um, we're going to start out with, uh, you know, young Derek's crushes. And we're talking <laughs> kindergarten, first, second grade, maybe all the way through elementary school. And then we might, we might hit a soft spot in the middle with, um, you know, the middle school years. And then, you know, we may, we may progress through, through high school um, and work our way towards where we land now. Um, So, you know, uh, let's just try to stay off of browsers and Pornhub uh, while we're doing this. That's well put. Uh, Bo, what's uh, what's your thoughts going into this draft? I feel like we can learn a lot about each other here. That's kind of where I was at. It's like I feel like we can learn a lot about each other, but uh, I 
I'm not one that really subscribes to a lot of celebrity crushes, I guess, but um, I don't know. It's just necessarily not really always been my thing, but um, there's always something, I guess. So I, I like how Derek put it. It's different times of your life. I guess I'm going to have a little bit of that too, but we'll see. It's I'm kind of moving all around here. Okay. So uh, with a quick reminder of how we do these drafts for the folks at home watching. We'll each get six picks. Uh, the draft order was determined uh, by random wheel spin beforehand. I will have the first pick. Derek will have the second pick. Bo will have the third pick, and then we'll go reverse order. Bo will have the first pick in the second round. Back to Derek, then me, and so on and so forth. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, get this draft underway with the uh, very first pick of the – Celebrity crush draft. Guys, uh, I had to go with uh, my A1 since about seventh grade. Uh, I, I still admire her, and uh, she she's fantastic. Not not just I, – I, she's one of the rare uh, celebrities in my childhood. Child – you know, a, a former child star that didn't go crazy, that kind of stayed true to herself and just got better looking as, as the years went on. I, I'm going to go with Selena Gomez with my uh, first pick. Uh, grew up watching her on Wizards of Le Waverly Place. She's gone on to have a very successful career and as uh, you know, in acting and in, in music. And uh, she's from Texas. Uh, not crazy, as we mentioned. That helps. I'm going with Selena Gomez as my first pick off the board. Derek, uh, how about you? Oh, you just definitely want to see if the magic is in you. Um, <laughs> uh I mean, you know, you uh, you you talk about your A one, you're 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 down from from day one. Um, this was an easy one for me. Um, this is the girl who taught me how to love, who who showed <laughs> up in, um, when she would do anything for her friends or anything um, for her boyfriend in in Angel Grove, and that is Amy Joe Johnson. <laughs> Uh, most notably known as Kimberly, the pink power ranger from the original power rangers. None of that other shit that they made 700 spinoffs of. Um, if, uh, if you didn't have a crush on uh, Amy Joe Johnson uh, of the original power rangers from the years of like 1994 to 1996, something was wrong with you. Okay. Um, Derek. Uh, very interesting pick there. I'll, I'll be honest, Amy Joe Johnson. No offense, wasn't on my board. So go ahead. Yours, uh, Bo. Uh, your first pick. Uh, last pick of the first round. All right. Look, I'm obviously much older here, and um, neither of your picks would be people on my list. So, um, although I've seen Selena Gomez, and she is very cute, I will say that. Um, look, mine is my current celebrity crush. I only have one real celebrity crush I have for years. My wife knows all about this, and that is the woman I think is the perfect woman, and that's Scarlett Johansson. Okay. I, I respect that. That's a great pick. That's an S-tier pick. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is uh, off the board with uh, hmm. Bo's pick there. Bo, next pick right. for you, back to back. Okay, so um, this one came to me. I, I, I see her in more and more things now. Um, I first remembered her from Parks and Recreation, and that's from oh. the White Lotus and a few other things. Um, Aubrey Plaza Ooh. is one I really like. So I'm going to go with Aubrey Plaza. 
I like it when a chick is not just, you know, very attractive, but funny too. Aubrey Plaza is, she's hilarious. Uh, hilarious. See, that's the thing also, is that you got to be like funny and smart. And there's other things I like other than just being attractive. Right. Yeah. Uh, Derek, your next pick. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get this this one in the second round. Like I said, I took a little bit of a risk putting um, Amy Jo Johnson, number one, uh, Kimberly, the pink Power Ranger. Um, but I think anybody who grew up during the time of of family sitcoms uh, where you learned a lot about yourself, you learned how to to be a good friend. You learned how to to love someone else um, the way that Corey Matthews loved Topanga. Um, my second pick is uh, Topanga from Boy Meets World. So uh, two picks, two grand slams. That's that's all I'm saying right now. My roster is looking pretty good. All right. So Topanga is uh, off the board from a Boy Meets World with the uh, second pick there. Derek, you're back on the clock. Who are you taking? Tell her you're up. Oh, I'm up. Sorry. I was uh, – okay. Sorry, I got back to back. I, I was getting ahead of myself there. You did uh, just – this next pick, uh, she's from my home state of Oklahoma. I remember in fifth grade, I was sad when she got married. And my mom said to me, why are you sad? Were you going to marry her? And I said, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I, I got to go with the the one and only. the And she, she gets better with age, too. Age is like a fine wine. Uh, Carrie Underwood. Uh, I'm waiting all day for Sunday night. I can tell you that much right now. Uh, Carrie Underwood, very attractive uh her music is phenomenal as well been to one of her concerts it was one of the best concerts i've ever seen uh carrie underwood goes off the board for me next up i am shocked this person is still available i think every generation has admired her uh and and like we said with kind of what we're looking for criteria wise not just good looking but the total package right of you know like that girl next door vibe um Funny, cute, everything. Uh, she may be old enough to be my mother, but I don't care. I'm going with Jennifer Aniston with this uh, next pick. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, too easy. Uh, I got this one for me. I'm shocked that she lasted this long. I'll go with her with my uh, third pick. Derek, back okay. to you. Jennifer yeah. Aniston would have been Tom's pick. Tom's number yeah. one. Pick. That would have been Tom's number one pick. Absolutely, yeah. it probably would have been. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, take it back just a little bit um before the shows of uh boy meets world and before the original power rangers um i'm gonna go with a name that that tyler you're probably not as familiar with but i know coach Bo is um uh but it's always good you know to be saved by the bell and i'm gonna go with uh um kelly kapowski Mm. with my third kelly kapowski uh that's that's another good pick uh solid pick. pick. Yeah. So far. Uh not bad. Uh Bo, you're uh you're up next. What do you got here? All right. So this is one where you're going for the beauty and the brains. And this one's to me, I'm again I'm older, and this one's older as well. Michelle Obama. Okay. Okay. I just uh Michelle Obama is one of the most beautiful women you will ever find anywhere and wicked smart and funny and everything else. That's pretty much what you'd want in a mate. Barack is a very, very lucky man. 
I when, think when Bear I think when, with that pick too, that goes of what we're talking about of not just looks, but the whole package here, like of our criteria. That that's a well-rounded pick uh with Michelle Obama there. So um what were you gonna say there, Derek? Uh, I was gonna say, you know, when when they go low, you go high, as as she would say. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Bo, you got a back-to-back picks here. All right. Now, as, 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 as good as that pick was, this one's going to be just one of those you're looking at someone and you go, wow. And that's Kate Upton. Oh, yeah. Uh, Justin Verlander's a very lucky man. Uh, you know, he has the greatest life of anybody. He's yeah. a great, great pitcher and gets to, is married to Kate Upton. That's, that should not – one man should not have that many sports. It's No. I mean, we'll be honest here. It's the boobs, you know. I mean, like, it, they are what they are. I mean, they speak for themselves. I'll leave it. Sports Illustrated, though, too. Let's not let us not forget that great line. Yes, yes. Uh, Derek, you're back on the clock. Um. So, so my fourth one, kind of like what what Brian was saying. I, I'm surprised this one's not not been taken. Um. But I'm gonna go with uh, with um Jennifer Lawrence. Ooh, it's a good pick. Yeah. yeah, I you know, I I have uh seen most of her movies. Um and uh I have I have loved her since The Hunger Games. She is why I watched The Hunger Games. I can't tell you what it's about, but I can tell you she's beautiful in it. And uh she can use a bow and arrow and be Katniss anytime. Um my uh, my next pick here. Uh I'm going to dive into the sports world. Uh somebody I think that Everybody my age, probably Derek's age, uh, admired, and she's still doing a great job. And you know, she was she was a star in the making. You could see it pretty early on, and to what she is now, and and continues to do a great job. I gotta go, Aaron Andrews, with this. Uh, I love Aaron Andrews. Uh, a lot of respect for Aaron. Uh, not just you know, again, not just beauty, but. Uh, a well-rounded journalist does a great job. Uh, I have nothing but respect for Aaron Andrews, and and uh, she's one of my favorites. Uh, Derek, a, a draft on in this show, like there's no way none of us couldn't get away without drafting Aaron Andrews here. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no way anybody uh, could could get away with that. All right. Uh, so Aaron Andrews is uh, my next pick. Uh, for the the following pick uh, of what I'm going to do with this, this next, pick. what I said, your fifth pick, my fifth pick uh, on the board here. There's a lot of different directions I, I could go with this next pick, um, and it's kind of hard to narrow down. Aaron Andrews was an was an easy call there. Ah, uh, for this one, I'm going to go. I'm still debating back and forth. Do I want to do this or not? Um, you, you know what? I, I'll go ahead and do it. I'll go with another. I'll add another sports reporter of more uh, to Derek's time, just to maybe I'll, I'll own the sports reporter category. I'll go with Melissa Stark here. Uh, uh, Melissa Stark had a nice comeback too recently as well, and and is doing a great job with NBC. Um, Melissa Stark gets a spot for me uh, on that. That crush list, Meyer Melissa Stark. Back to you, Derek. Yeah, so I'm going to go with somebody who uh, who's kind of been the model of consistency um, throughout her her time um, in the industry of uh, 
being an actress, um, I'm probably never quite gotten the uh, the love and the respect and the admiration that she so deserves. Um, she can play many different roles. She has been in, um, you know, the uh, the Flintstones original movie. She's been a uh, James Bond girl, and that is the one and only Halle Berry. Mm. As uh, as my fifth selection. Great pick. Halle Berry. Okay. Yeah. Great pick. There we go and clear back to the program. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, Darnell ESU, we just want to welcome you. Yeah. Yes. Bo, uh, back to back picks here. Your uh your last two picks. Uh, do I have two or do I have one? One, two, three, four. You got two. You got five and six. Oh, we're doing six rounds. Okay. I thought yeah, yeah. Yeah. all right. Uh back to back here. All right. So I'm gonna go with my first celebrity crush when I was younger, and that was Drew Barrymore. Mm. still to this day an incredibly beautiful woman and looks like she could be just a blast to be around just someone who's just happy I like that and then you went sports reporters earlier Tyler and I don't think you went wrong yeah but there's one out there that I like that I think is better than all of them and that's from ESPN, Sarah Spain. Okay. Wicked smart. Derek knows Sarah. And, I, and, I, I, I used to be a correspondent on her show from time to time. I know Sarah, yes. And, yeah, it's like whenever she's on, whenever she, she's not on there as much anymore, but uh, when she was on, uh, what is it, Around the Horn, I would just watch. Like, even, even if it's like at the bar and there's like no sound, I would still just watch. Yeah. And... It's- you know, she's well-educated. She went to Columbia or Cornell? Cornell. Yeah, she's a Cornell so, girl. Ivy, Ivy League educated and everything else. Yeah. I, and she's a Cubs fan, so you know she's cool. She was on a, She was on the, the, the track team there, too. Um, yeah. So she was really good. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I know I know Sarah pretty well. She's 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 a good friend. Don't go to the me. Okay. Don't what? So like Coach Bo wants to meet her. Uh, okay. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll reach out to her. Uh, Eric, uh, your final pick here. You know, um, you know, some of us may know her uh just as uh as a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Uh others may know her um as as uh, Tanya Harding, others may know her um as Jordan Belfort's wife. I'm gonna go Margaret Roby. How can you I That's a good pick. love with with the accent, the acting chops, um, everything else, um, I think I just have a well-rounded roster with with her being my sixth woman. <laughs> sixth woman. <laughs> nice phrasing there. I like that. Coming off the bench, you got Margot Robbie. Right. That's Margot Robbie coming off the bench. Uh, no, no, no. She's got to be a starter. <laughs> She's a great value pick there. Yeah. Um, my final one, my final celebrity crush I'll go with. Um, this one, I remember this is, I know I'm not that old, especially compared to you guys. This is going to wow. age me a bit. Um, I remember when I was a kid in like sixth or seventh grade, getting a, like having to burn a CD to listen to her music. Um, okay. Like this, this is how committed I was. And she was, uh, her music was great. Uh, did some really good acting, 
and, and, and very attractive at the same time. I'm going with Beyonce with my final pick. Uh, oh, I think Beyonce. Um, you can't go wrong with Beyonce. Um, there, there's not much I need else I need to say. Beyonce is just all that and got it all there. So I love the pick, but where I, I'm going to give you some grief is the trouble of burning a CD. Um, Derek, are you old enough to have made a mixtape? <laughs> uh, I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, old enough to have uh, to have had to make a mixtape. Yes, a, a I'm old enough to. Uh, is harder than ever of burning a CD. <laughs> we didn't. Uh, we didn't. Uh, I didn't steer fully clear this of this topic. I'm going to finish on it, but uh, I'm old enough to remember how uh, when you were a kid you had to. Uh, be coy when you were downloading porn to to rename it things so that your parents didn't know it was on your computer. Yes. <laughs> so I definitely know how to make mixtapes. <laughs> so to recap the draft, Team Jones, Selena Gomez, Carrie Underwood, Jennifer Aniston, Aaron Andrews, Melissa Stark, Beyonce, Bo Scarlett Johansson, Aubrey Plaza, Michelle Obama, Kate Upton, Drew Barrymore, Sarah Spain. Derek is Amy Jo Johnson. Uh uh Topinga. Is that how did I say Topinga. that right? Okay. Uh Kelly, uh, what's her last name? Capacity. Uh Capacity. Thank you. Jennifer Lawrence, Halle Berry, and Margot Robbie. Uh, Bo, your reaction. What do you think of the three squads? Well, I think I dominated you guys, like I dominate every week. But uh, <laughs> actually, I think I think Derek's team's pretty good. Um, those last three picks. Jennifer Lawrence, Halle Berry, Margot Robbie, those are really essentially really good. Um, Tyler, you finished last. I think you finished last. If you're lucky I wasn't there last week. You would have finished last then, too. Um, I got Jennifer Aniston, Aaron Andrews, and Beyonce. Like, come on. You went, you went, you went, you didn't need to go to sports reporters. You probably could have gone in a different direction had you not, had you, had you gone with somebody other than Melissa Stark. Aaron Andrews is is a dime but okay. i was trying to represent melissa, both generations melissa, you know yeah yeah melissa stark is no is no aaron andrews okay okay um i'll say this uh when when we look at at these teams i i, I give us credit for reaching broadly like between uh you know a former first lady to sports commentators there, there was a lot of you know, we had act actresses, music artists. There's a lot of diversity here uh, in this draft, Derek. Oh, a hundred percent. There's a lot of uh, a lot of diversity. I mean, I would have never thought. I, I mean, if I was going to go for a for a former first lady, I, I respect that that Coach Bo went with Michelle Obama. Um, I I would have maybe considered Nancy Reagan. Just you know, if you know, you know, you know. Yeah. If you know, you know, Derek. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'll say this. I was very Derek just jumped up like three levels in the respect line, Coach Bo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say this. I was very shocked uh, when we talk about the best of the rest, rest, the undrafted free agents. Derek, tell me how you passed up on uh, your girl, Lisa Ann. Uh, I mean, you know, because – as as great as a adult actress as she is, and how she set the standard and paved the way for for younger male performers like Johnny Sins and so many else, 
Um, I, I would say there's probably more mainstream popular ones out there, like a Bella Danger. Like I could have gone with her, um, but that just might have been weird because there's a there's an age difference between Abella and I. Um, so I, I wanted to uh, to to refrain from uh, you know pedophile status and having the uh, the authorities come knock on my door tomorrow morning. Yeah, no, no drafting Livy Dunn either, you know. Um, uh, another name that I thought about uh, was a crush of mine that was kind of on the outside looking in. Danica Patrick uh, would have been another. I, I really like Danica. Uh, and, and, you know, she was crazy enough to go out with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, yeah. she's pretty strong, you know, pretty strong woman, if that's the case. Um Bo, who was on your best of the rest that, that came up short here? Um, there was one from the adult industry that would have been Angela White. Yep. Okay. Um, yep. 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 So that was the only one from the adult industry. I wasn't going to go there unless everybody else went there. Can um can, can we all like in a non-weird way acknowledge this though? Um that if we had more, we probably would have picked this person. Um, especially for for how they've recovered and where they've come from now and how they were ostracized. Brendan Fraser. You know, I never I have a friend who loves Brendan Fraser, like now. Like she's okay. young, she's like 10 years younger than me. And just yeah. thinks he is the number one. Yeah. If, if we if we had you know, included, you know, if it wasn't our crushes, if it was including other, you know, the other side there, um, there have been a couple of actors in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can acknowledge. And, and you know what? And it may be, and it, you know, I, I've never been shy of saying I have a man crush on somebody. I have a man crush on Daniel Craig. So yeah. that would have been one that I would have chosen in that situation. Um, I've always admired Ryan Seacrest, uh, you know, especially just as. I mean, is he? He's a very good-looking guy, sure. But like the work that guy puts in, from his radio show to American Idol, um, you know, he did you know live with Kelly and Ryan for a long time. Now he's taking on Will of Fortune. I mean, I, I just always respected the hustle of Ryan Seacrest. He he, he would have been up there for me if we were going on that end. Uh, yeah, I respect that. Yeah. Nonetheless, uh, there's our draft for this week as uh, we continue draft season all summer long here on the Jones Report, and uh, we'll continue to do it again next week. Thanks, guys, uh, for your help. We'll do it again next week. Yep. Thank you. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fullery story of the week where we tell you about something ridiculous happening in the world. Derek Haglin is uh, still here hanging out with us as uh, he – fills in and uh will tell us about what's going on in the world. Derek, uh the one and only Joey Chestnut. We we knew ahead of time he was gonna win the hot dogging contest. That's that's a, a big deal. And and he goes down, of course, as the greatest athlete of our time. You know, that that's that's the very minor detail in all this. But it's the other side of the story here that's so fascinating. What he did to save the day to even make the the Hot dogging contest happened on on Tuesday. Yeah, no. Um, what what he said is his his one liner of uh, you know, when they were because they wanted to cancel the hot dog eating contest, and he goes and says, "Do lightning." Yeah, um, you know, you know, 
they're not wearing cleats. They're not wearing anything like that. So I see no, I see no issue with um, why they couldn't be out there. It wasn't raining that hard. Maybe not have the spectators out there. Um, but the Nathan's hot dog eating contest is America. Um, it's what our founding fathers, I feel like, would be watching um, before they start doing anything. I think that's something that they envisioned when they were framing the work of the Constitution was, you know, uh, almost 250 years later, uh, we're going to be um, we're going to be celebrating and having a uh, hot dog eating contest. Um but Joey Chestnut's the greatest athlete that ever lived. Um, I don't even think it's up for debate. He's he's better than Michael, Muhammad Ali, um, you know, Babe Ruth. Uh, but him saving the the hot dog eating contest might be the single greatest accomplishment of his of his time, um, of his career. And and that says a, a lot for a guy who has 17 mustard belts. Uh, but his little one liner of I'm gonna go get the rest of the guys. Um and, and we're going to eat and I'm going it, to, it's just, it's so funny what he said to be able to, we're going to um, do this effort is what he said. Yes. Yeah. We're going to do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joey Chestnut is, uh, is not the hero um, we deserve, but it is the hero we asked for. Well, and I think too, so he sounded like he was prepared. I mean, you talk about championship mentality. He sounded like it was, I'm going to go anywhere, anytime, any place. Unlike right. Scott Frost, who tried to get out of playing Oklahoma uh, right. a couple years ago. Total opposite mentality. I think that he kind of put pressure back on the hot dogging contest on Nathan's because we had been told by uh, Nathan's and what was put out there, the event was canceled. He said, fine, we're going to go do this on, on their own. And all of a sudden, Major League Eating and Nathan's are like, we can't be shown up here. We have to do something. And what do you know? They rallied the troops, set the stage back up, and they were on ESPN within an hour of Joey threatening to go somewhere else here. He, he called their bluff is essentially what they did there. If if Joey walks out and does his own thing, that may have been the end of the hot dogging contest. It may have been the Joey Chestnut Invitational from that point. Yeah, uh, Nathan's would have been royally fucked had they not done that because uh, clearly Joey Chestnut owns all of them um, and what he says goes. And then people wanted to see it and nobody got hurt. Um, and, you know, it was a great it was a great contest. And of course, Joey won, which is what we all knew was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Um, the runner up. Jeffrey Esper ate 49 hot dogs uh, and buns, so not too bad. Uh, Joey's record is 76, which he accomplished back in uh, 2021. He has slowed down a little bit the last couple of years. Uh, Joey Chestnut, he, he's still winning, but I, I would say he's probably on the back end of his prime now, what's been a uh, terrific career. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. Um, I... I don't know how we're going to be able to go forward when that that dreadful day does come where Joey Chestnut is no longer competing um, in hot dog eating contests. Um, Derek, it, it, I know that you're on a health kick and all that, but if I said, Derek, you got to compete in a food eating contest, what's going to be the, the food of choice for you uh, that you try to feel like you could hold your own in? Pasta. 
fettuccine alfredo or with shrimp okay let's go let's go to the olive garden right now are you going bare hands or you need a fork um i could do bare hands if that's what's required i would prefer a fork um because that shit can get really messy um so fork would be preferred but i mean i can i can put away some pasta that toilet's not going to stand a chance no nah, no nah. it, it'll it, it'll uh it'll go down and uh, be remembered for its service yeah um I saw another headline about Joey Chestnut, by the way, speaking of toilets. Uh, oh he says he terrorizes some toilets after the hot dog eating contest. Um, I would believe that. I. It's one of those things where he doesn't put ketchup on it, so you probably know it's not ketchup. If, if there's anything that doesn't look like hot dogs coming out. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't have to worry about condiments. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, That's good. Just... Yeah. Joey Chestnut getting it done. Another mustard belt title. Um, and 17. yeah, all those mustard belts that, that he's been able to accomplish here. And, and, uh, you know, the, you talk about, legacy and i know that when we look at some of the all-time great athletes and when they're still going through their their prime we don't necessarily like to sit down and talk about their legacy but i think it's very important we have the legacy discussion about joey chestnut here and you know here's a guy not only that's winning all these championships and establishing himself as the goat and the greatest athlete of all time and all that Derek. think about this too i mean from rallying the troops and saying we are doing this bitch and on top of that, what was it a couple years ago? He choked out a PETA protester in the middle of the hot dogging contest and still finished all the hot dogs and win and, and go on to win the thing here. I mean, nobody could stop this man. I mean, he 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 wants the ball in the in the fourth quarter. He wants he'll take that last shot. Yeah, he's Jordan in game six of the 98 finals against the Jazz. Um, you know, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, he's the greatest to do. Um, what he has, and may he be remembered up there with the greats and on the sports Mount Rushmore with Ali, Babe Ruth, Jordan, um, you know, Brady, so on and so forth. Right. And, and I'll say this one, one last thing. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up on this when it comes to Joey Chestnut. Um, if you see in interviews and such, um, he is very committed to the bit. Like he, He's not very humble. He he's very is very adamant that he's the the greatest and how good he is at, at eating and all this. And you know, I, I think that would turn off a lot of people. But in his case, Derek, he he backs it up every single time. Like I I, I respect that. I can't not respect it when you back it up the way that he does here. Most yes. It, it does get old when you hear from some people of when they talk to talk, but don't walk to walk. In his case, he backs up everything he says. I have no problem with him uh, preaching his shit. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't either, um, especially when you're that good. So he he is definitely you've earned the right to be able to say and do those things when you win at such a high level the way that he has. Yeah, I have that. I think so. So there you have it. 
That's our uh, Tom Fulry story of the week this week. Joey Chestnut, a champion once again, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, uh, gets it done with another muster belt title and another just great story for the legacy. You know, and we, we've seen Michael Jordan with the flu game. Now we've seen Joey Chestnut defeat the lightning delay and rally the troops to make it happen. Uh, just incredible. Big thanks to John Kurtz for joining us. Uh, check out his work, KC Sports Network, YouTube, all that stuff. He does a great job. Uh, also check out uh, the Studio Soapbox Network. This show, Coach Bo's show, you heard from him earlier on. Uh, also, uh, Let's Go Racing with David Starr. We had a great time talking about the Chicago race. Check that podcast out wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, subscribe to this show. New episodes out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Hit us up on social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. Uh, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live. You can find me there. Studio Soapbox on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and then uh, Jones underscore report on Instagram as well. For Derek Hagman, Coach Bo, John Kurtz, our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.